Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Back to Buckeye Talk. Doug Lambert, Stephen Means, Nathan Baird in my basement talking Ohio State, Indiana on Saturday. We will be in Bloomington. I should talk into the mic. I'm talking into the mic. Can you hear that? Okay, that was better. Um, talk into the mic. How's the mic sound? Do your thing. Hello, hello, hello. Is this professional? Here, talking into the mic. It is not professional in any way. Okay, so anyway, I think. We maybe are making money off this podcast for the first time in a while. I'm going to upload this to the new platform that I think might jam an ad at the beginning. You might have heard an ad at the beginning of this. You might hear an ad at the end, and you might hear an ad in the middle. And if you hear an ad, it's being injected nationally by the podcast podcast platform, not by us. But just know in your heart when you hear that ad, that's cha-ching for Buckeye Talk. And that is a very good thing. So we appreciate you guys listening. We appreciate our tech subscribers, $3.99 a month. That's more cha-ching for Buckeye Talk. And we know you guys support the cha-ching of Buckeye Talk. And that's why we make our podcast very subscriber-friendly. And we asked, I asked uh, for questions like an hour before we started recording. I was like, I don't know. I don't know if the tech subscribers are going to come through. And we got like 150 questions in an hour. So we're going to have Zach Osterman. From the Indie Star on a bit Boo. later. I told Nathan there was a time when I got the bearded Big Ten beat writers at the Indie Star a little bit confused. Now, one of them was on the phone with me tonight, and one of them's in my basement. And I'm still not sure which is which. Who's more Who's more handsome? Oh, well, I don't want to... That's not for me to say. That's not... That's not for Nathan Baird to say. Uh, and by the way, your fiancé... Uh, Writing some big stories for Columbus Business Journal, is that right? Columbus Business First Ooh, is, is the name of the publication. Is the Colum- but, but okay. part of the same company, part of um, uh, American Business Journals, which is owned by Advance, which we are also owned by Woo. each individual one of us. So uh, we're just making cha-ching all over the place for Indeed. Advance and for us. So um, let's start with a subject that I asked the texters about as I asked for their questions. And because I hate this topic, and there's nothing I like discussing more than topics that I hate. I said, what do you think of trap games? And Tyler Shoemaker, who, like, for the second straight week is the first person in with the uh, with the questions, 
said, I think trap games are real, or at least were real. Given that we've been trapped twice in two years makes me think that the team should be hyper-focused on those type of games moving forward. Regardless, Indiana isn't that. Maryland strikes me of more of that potential than Indiana. So it's like, there's two questions here. One, do trap games exist? And two, if they do, is this one of them? One, do trap games exist? Maybe. Maybe. A strong maybe. Two, I may be trending towards yes. Um, just because of human psychology, especially among people ages 18 to 22. Two, is this a trap game? No. There's no definition of trap game that involves playing Indiana the week before you play Miami of Ohio. It's always about overlooking the opponent in front of you because you're too fixated on the next opponent or the next event or, or whatever's coming ahead. And there's no possible conceivable reason for any team to overlook the team ahead of them because they've got Miami of Ohio coming in two weeks. No offense to the fine people of the greater oh, Miami of Ohio area. Offense taken. Too late. Offense taken. <laughs> and number three, I would even say I, I would disagree with the concept that Ohio State was trapped twice in the last two years. Um, you know, the Purdue game, I don't know that that was a trap game. There were a lot of things that just went Purdue's way. It was kind of a snowball rolling downhill. And really, I don't know that Ohio State didn't come out and get and execute in the red zone early in that game because they were trapped or they were over. It was just sometimes you don't execute at 100%. The other team takes advantage. So maybe that's maybe that circles us back to number one and there is no such thing as a trap game. I don't know. But I, I would not. I, I didn't consider that a trap game on Ohio State's part, but I the beholder, I suppose. I don't agree with the term trap game. I just think sometimes David slays Goliath. Purdue did it last year. I was done it before. Sometimes you're going to lose sometimes and – Things just aren't going to go your way, and everything just happens to go right for the team that you probably should have beaten, and you would have beaten 99 times out of 100. Well, that one time happened, and that's what happened. Indiana is not a trap game for every reason that Nathan Bear just named. Like, you don't go, uh, yeah, a trap game, if we're going to live by this definition that there is a trap game, that means there's something that they're looking forward to ahead. No one's looking forward to Miami of Ohio. Purdue, I, if under these, like, this law was a trap game because there's a bye week the week after that. And, I mean, hey, man, you get a little week off. You get some rest. You get to go home and see your family and do all that, X, Y, and Z. So under those, yeah, I guess this whatever the definition of a trap game would be, this is not it. But I just don't personally believe in the trap game theory anyway. Well, I think Ohio State players are looking forward to playing Miami of Ohio. I just don't <laughs> think they're looking past Indiana. Yeah. In order to do it, you know, I, I know what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, they're, they're looking forward to playing a football game. It's not like, well, they're looking forward the, to the the, the 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 this isn't like a game where it's like, oh yeah, like this might be circled on our schedule. Miami of Ohio is coming here because they're getting compensated to be one final preseason game. So everybody agrees with what you guys just said from the two one six. Trap games exist, but it requires the team to be looking ahead or mentally exhausted from a previous game. Not when last week was over at half and next week is a joke. Uh, Alan Kitchen, our guy. I don't necessarily think Indiana is a trap game, but I think we could definitely see a young team take a few steps back after a leap forward against Cincinnati. I think it'll be part of how they are this year. Highs and lows, strikes and gutters. Um, I agree with that a little bit. Here's a trap game. When Ohio State has to play at Northwestern in between between playing Michigan State 
and Wisconsin. You're all over that Northwestern game, but but uh, that's the definition of a trap. But game. you've mentioned that I think that's one of your losses on your ten yes. and two prediction. Yes. That was one of your losses. Yes. And is that why it's one of your losses? Because you're looking and seeing where that is on the schedule and that kind of thing, and that that matters to you. It was you know based on what we knew about this team preseason, I didn't have any reason to believe that they weren't capable of the same kind of road letdown against quote unquote letdown against a not elite team, although again, Northwestern is one of those teams that year in, year out basis, fighting for the top of the West Division. It's it was just there were a lot of things that factor into it. I think Northwestern is an underrated program. I think they are um it's also on a Friday night. It's a weird week. You're going on the road. You just played Michigan State. I mean there's a lot of things involved there that I thought it wasn't necessarily that I thought because it was a trap game, but there are a lot of things about that game that fit the quote unquote trap game definition. Um it is weird. Like, I, people, it's, it's oh, almost... Actually, I should correct myself. There's a bye week before they play Northwestern, but I believe Northwestern has one also. P- part of it is, is it one of those things where if you spend all week talking about if it's a trap game, it by definition is not a trap game? Like, yeah. and, and I guess people don't care what we say, but it's like, look out! We we can't be unmotivated and unfocused because this is the kind of game we can be we could maybe be unmotivated and unfocused. So let's use the fear of being unmotivated and unfocused to, be to motivate and focus us, thereby overruling, thereby negating the thing that we're talking about. You know what I mean? And again, it's not what we think; it's what these guys think. Because here's what I will say, and we'll get to more of what our texter said because you guys made some good points. To me, a trap game is the idea of you could lose because of your head. Because there's something emotional or mental there. And that you lose a game that you would never lose physically because you're thinking about something else. So, as you guys have defined it, and as some of our texters have defined it, um, that would be either probably looking ahead or maybe looking back. For instance, Jason Crutchfield on the text wrote, I 100% believe this is a trap game, but I believe they tend to overcome after an emotional, an emotional win. Um, no, that they he thinks that the, the trap games tend to come after an emotional win, and the best example of that is the Iowa game in 2017 was after a crazy double overtime game against Penn State yeah. where they were sort of like, I think they thought they maybe celebrated into the next week. They were sort of like mentally worn down, and then they weren't emotionally you and come mentally out a little back flat up. Emotionally, yeah. That it can be both what happened the week before and maybe what you're looking to the next week. So I think that makes a lot of sense. Someone from the 513 says, no trap game. Someone else says, uh, let's see. Someone thinks I'm a robot. That's not what I want to say. Um I believe in trap games from the 419, but we play Miami after Indiana, so no, it's not a trap game. The the thing that, and I will say I hate trap games. I hate these discussions that I am now making us have, but I have slightly changed my mind on them based on what's happened the past two years. But I will say I think I can point to physical things in both the Purdue game and the Iowa game. For instance, a defense that had problems and couldn't deal with Rondale Moore. We all saw that defense. 
we saw that defense was not a secret. Yeah. That defense, the reason that the defense couldn't cover Rondale Moore wasn't emotional or mental. It was schematic and physical. That was just football. Um, the reason that I was, and I talked about this a couple podcasts ago, the reason that I, like Noah Fan had two touchdowns against Ohio State in 2017 was not emotional. That was Noah Fant was a tight end that Ohio State's linebackers couldn't cover. They exploited a football matchup. The thing that I thought was the one thing that to me was a little trappy about how the Iowa game played out is that JT Barrett the week before against Penn State had probably the best quarter of his life and rallied Ohio State with just unbelievable, great precision, clutch, confident throws and all of J.T. Barrett's career, I had begged J.T. Barrett, not to his face, because if I had begged it to his face, he would have said, shut up, I don't care what you think. On this podcast, I begged him to let it rip. Have confidence and risk it and let it rip. And in the fourth quarter, we always said with J.T., he let it rip in the two-minute drill. He let it rip in the fourth quarter. He let it rip when they were down. When it, when he needed to, he let it go. The rest of the time, he double-pumped and was cautious, which actually Ryan Day seems to love. But anyway... He let it rip against Penn State because he had to. He rallies them. They win by a point. He comes out the next week and lets it rip, and Josh Jackson picks off the first pass of the game. And then he throws three picks, and it's like, stop letting it rip! (laughs) And so I thought that was an emotional reaction, that JT Barrett reached peak confidence as a Buckeye, and... On the meter of like appropriate confidence, he was probably on the low end of like, man, he was in the range, but he was on the low end of the range his whole career. I wish he would have played for with a little more confidence, but he was in the right range of confidence. And that Penn State win, he went so high on the confidence meter that he, he peaked. Right. It went from good amount of confidence. He peaked into irrational confidence. And then Josh Jackson pushed him off that peak. And he got, he got humbled, basically. And they lost by 31. So does that make that a trap game? I thought there were still football things there. They had a plan to deal with JT Barrett. Nick Bosa got kicked out of the game. They had tight end matchups that Ohio State couldn't deal with. That's where the linebacker issues, which was an issue for two years, that's where the linebackers really cropped up, I thought, for the first time. I could still point to football things, that it wasn't all emotion. So what I'm getting to with this is... I think it could be a trap game if these guys just kicked Cincinnati's butt and they think, we're pretty stinking good. And I'm not sure that they would be looking ahead. I'm not, it certainly would not be the fact that they were emotionally exhausted from last week. But I wonder if there's any room for a bunch of guys who the defense was humbled last year. They were embarrassed last year. Justin Fields came here to start a new football life a lot of guys have sort of been waiting for this and the first two games went so well and i and also i hate this kind of analysis well i'll tell you ohio state's biggest problem they're too good you know like what kind of analysis is that yeah if they had beaten cincinnati 42 to 40 i'd be like they're gonna lose to indiana because they stink but instead they beat Indiana. They beat Cincinnati by too much. So now all of, I'm all of a sudden worried about they're too confident. But but that's the window into a trap game discussion for me. Yeah, and I to to kind of play into that point of like, oh, they think they're, they're Ohio State's problem is they're too good. 
I think there's a better way to attack it than just saying that. I think the way you attack it is like, this is a team who for the last month and a half has been, we have a chip on our shoulder. Nobody thinks we're that good anymore. The defense sucked last year and we know it. We're out to prove some things. Well, I'm not going to say they completely shut up that talk, but like they've done a pretty good job of answering some questions during the first two weeks of the season that trap game would be sent. Like there is a little bit of like, We've proven some things, and so I don't want to say it's a letdown because, you know, they've they've completely let themselves off the hook, but it, there is a – the chip can, like, go away a little bit, and then that's when things become a tra- – then that's when football issues do start to become part of a trap game because now all of a sudden Nick Bosa getting kicked out of a game, well, yeah, it's a big deal, but, they're just, like, without Nick Bosa, they were still the more talented team than Iowa, but – this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened. It started things started happening that you could no longer control, and it became one thing turned one little thing turned into a lot of little things, which becomes a big thing. But, uh, trap games, the whole concept revolves around emotion. It's the emotional letdown that one team is experiencing, and usually the emotional letdown that the other team, your opponent, is experiencing too by getting up to play you because they are the underdog. That's what makes it a trap game. I will say two things that, that jumped out at me in regard to this conversation, even though I, I don't know that he was directly asked about... I think he's in a roundabout way he was asked about Indiana being a, a trap game. But, but Ryan Day and the other coaches that we talked to today, more than one of them mentioned this concept of... You know, it wasn't that we want to be good enough to beat Indiana on Saturday. It was we want to be the best team in the country. That's the standard that they are talking about when they come talk to us. I assume it's the same standard that they are talking to their players about, that they are bringing up in meetings, that they are bringing up in practice. That that's It's a different standard. Okay, that route you just ran is good enough to beat Miami of Ohio. It is not good enough for us to be the best team in the country, us being I'm, I'm embodying Ohio State. I don't care whether if they're the best team in the country or not. But you know what I'm saying. Like that, that's that's the standard that they are preaching. So that kind of helps address that potential emotional letdown or the kind of thing you're talking about where a team gets too full of itself. That they they it doesn't involve some maturity. I think we even I brought this up a couple weeks ago when we were coming out of you know the Florida Atlantic game. It's like this is a test of a team's maturity. How much did you learn? from a game that you won by a lot. And and a big challenge for Ohio State this week, and it's probably actually already happened, it really happens in probably those 48, 72 hours where you're doing more studying than practicing. But what did you, when you go back and watch film of you kicking the crap out of another team, how much did you learn about what you need to get better at? The other thing is, when Ryan Day was talking about how you prepare a team in these circumstances, he, he mentioned three areas that you have to prepare yourself in. It was physically, mentally, and emotionally. And when he said it, I actually made a little a note in my notes to be like, oh, I want to find out from players. Like, what what do you think he means by that? What what? How do you prepare yourself emotionally? I think there's something there that maybe we can answer for, for the readers who are, who are curious about this. Because I'm sure it's probably different for every player, and every player may have a different concept of what that is. But it is t- that, that said to me, that is something that, again, as a head coach – he's already aware of and something that you would assume because of that is should be baked into what they're doing each week to prepare for any given game, let alone Indiana. Can I ask you, like, I was looking up trap music (laughs) while we were talking about trap (laughs) games. Cause it's gotta be thinking about that. Is stir fry trap music? Not really. Yeah. I mean, not really, not right? Not really? No, no, no. Like, like, the, have... like the Von Trapp family from Sound of Music? No, oh no, no, no. Like Fetty Wap had like the big trap music song a couple years ago. Trap Queen? Trap Queen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just knew it was a thing. 
But my kids just sang stir fry for like 18 months. I know stir fry is way gone by now. But I was just trying to get around my head like, what kind of music is trap music? Because we said trap game so many times. You know who Young Jeezy is? I do. I do know who Young Jeezy is. Not personally. Well, I know. He's familiar with his work. (laughs) Yeah. That's true. I mean, I know like radio rap, right? I mean, yeah. he's on radio. Because so, my kids, I mean, if you have teenagers, then you know radio rap. Yeah. I don't have teenagers. I'm just. No, you are a teenager. I mean, yeah. you're, closer, <laughs> you're closer in age to my daughter than. How old are you? 25. Yeah, I, c- I mean, I could be your dad. I mean, it wouldn't be like biologically impossible for me to be your no, dad. No, like. I it, I think it is biologically impossible. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it, no, it is biologically impossible, but like from a simple age situation, yes. But like, what yeah. I, limited things yeah. I know about human reproduction and genetics, yeah, like, it, like it seems unlikely. It's a no. Yeah, stir fry. Shout out to uh, my dad, though. I just like to I like to look stuff up and learn things. My daughter, my daughter is uh, is gonna be on her high school's team for this uh, in the know high school. Uh, like trivia challenge that they have. And, um, you know, she might need to know uh, a trap music question because there's pop culture in there. So I was a, I was a Scholastic Bowl, like, superstar in high school. Really? At, guys, my, at my small high school. Did you guys win? We won some stuff, yeah. We were, um, I was the Vermilion County Tournament MVP as a junior. Do you have a trophy or a plaque? Probably. I'm sure my mom has some trophy somewhere, a plaque left over. MVP? Three-year varsity captain. Were there? Did you ever have trap trivia contests where it was like you were going into a a game and you thought like, well, that school's stupid. We'll beat them. And then you had an emotional letdown and they answered more questions? No. I think (laughs) you just either knew the answers or you didn't. Yeah. You buzzed in fast (laughs) enough or you didn't. Uh, I was on the. Uh, I was also on my high school uh, team for that, and I was like the sports guy with like all the other, right. you know, like uh, smart people. And in the championship round, um, they asked who was the reigning NBA champion. And I'm so old. I think it was um, it was pre Jordan, so I think it was the Pistons had beaten the Trailblazers. I think like 89 and like 89. And yeah. I said the trailblazers, like I got it wrong. Cause I like thought about it too much and I choked. You had one job. And so I got it wrong. The other team got it right and got the bonus and we got minus. So instead of us being like ahead 60 to nothing, we were behind like 60 to minus 30 and like we never recovered. Wow. And it was like, Hey sports guy. <laughs> it was like, we played all day. I got one sports question and it's like, who is the champion? And I got it wrong. So that's just how uh, that's how I deal with uh, with pressure. I that's the brain power you guys are paying for here. At- yeah, three ninety nine a month for that. I played sports in high school. So. <laughs> I played sports in high school. It was a small school. <laughs> Stephen's like, uh, I yeah. just like played basketball like a yeah. normal human. <laughs> so. I don't- um, if the Browns go six and ten, Ohio State goes twelve and zero. Will you retire? I love that question. <laughs> Listen, I do. There is a part of me. I can go into a thing. There are. There is a part of me, and nobody cares about this, but you're not paying for the podcast, so you have to listen sometimes. I sometimes, I have spurts in my day at the start of the season, almost every season, where I hate my job. And, and the reason that I hate it is because... When I feel like sports is this thing that's supposed to be fun and supposed to be interesting and supposed to be like 
take your mind away from like the real problems of your life. Like that's what why that's why we get to do what we do because you guys care about a thing that actually doesn't matter, but it it's a fun distraction from the things that do matter. And and when I, there are times when I feel like that all sports is is like, well you were wrong. Well how come you were wrong? Well I was right. Well the thing I said is different than the thing you said and my thing was right this time. And it's like I get it. Like, that's why we do it. And if we just said, at some point, if we just said, my season prediction, we actually did our season prediction for the Browns, and someone tweeted, like, why don't we just take it game by game? And I was like, I swear to God, my season prediction next year is take it game by game. Is that what you want? How do you think? Hey, Doug, you're paid to do this. How do you think the team you cover is going to do? I don't know. Ask me in 17 weeks. Yeah. Time will tell. I can go on a time will tell rant, by the way, too. If you ever see a story that ends with time will tell, time will tell is called the passage of time. Yeah. Everything. Oof, if you yeah. if your analysis of a situation is time will pass and then we'll know more than we know now <laughs> because of the passage of time, because the thing that is currently in the future will eventually become in the present and then in the past, and then I'll analyze it, then just like this, we all just quit. The worst lyric in rock music history, Sammy Hagar from Van Halen in Why Can't This Be Love? Only time will tell if we stand the test of time. Obviously. It makes me want to just Obviously. drive into a tree every time I hear <laughs> yeah. that. Oh, yes! Of no. all of the musical crimes really? Sammy Hagar committed, that might be number one. Time will tell. So my thing is, and then I shake out of it, and then I don't hate my job. I hate my job for like an hour at a time here or there. I hit a lull in like October every year when my wife was like, I'm like, I got to do something else with my life. And she's like, you're in the lull. Like, it'll be okay. Just quit complaining. But the thing is, and and, and somebody is like, now we're trapped talking about it. But like the other day when Steven and I did the postgame podcast in the car, I think I said something like, I don't want to talk about nine and three because like, not because I don't have to own my prediction, but because like my, this season is not about what I predicted it would be. That's just analyze the season for what it is. And if I'm wrong at the end and they win the national championship, I will take all the slings and arrows and deserve them. That's part of what we do. But then I said, let's not talk about nine and three. And then the guy was like, for the first 13 minutes of the podcast, you talked about nine and three. (laughs) And I was like, that's fair. So I don't want to talk about this. So I know that was just a joke, but I just want you guys to know that like it, it, it's not about what we predict because we're wrong all the time. But Plus, we, we all would have picked him to be two and zero at this point. Anyway. And we need a fair analysis yeah. of the team so in the current setting. Maybe and we re- reassess mid-season. But the fair analysis is like they look really good, you know, and that's what we're right. going to get into in this podcast. But I think there's some interesting stuff along that line. But I think like they look really good. Um, this is a good one, and we've sort of danced around this, and I think this is a good way to like sort of put a point on this about this team. And Steven, I think you and I were talking about this after the game of like, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't like, where are they? Where's the problem? So from the five, one, three, what is the weakness or top three weaknesses you see on this team outside of the most obvious being Justin's health? And I think that's an okay caveat because it's like, well, if Justin Fields gets hurt, we know their backup quarterbacks are worse than they usually are. And there is not going to be a JT Barrett or a Cardale Jones coming off the bench or even a Kenny Guyton. To save this season. So I think we may as well say if Justin Fields gets hurt, they're in trouble. And if he stays healthy, they're in good shape. So why don't we, rather than each give a top three, we'll each say one, which will be three things. Steven, let's start with you. Like if you had to say what is a maybe weakness of this team, what is it? Consistency, I think, is it is what it is. Justin's looked great the last two weeks, but he's eventually going to have a moment where he doesn't look great just because he's a first-year starter. And when it's your first year doing something, you know, you're not always great at it. You have moments. 
J.K. Dobbins was great on Saturday. He wasn't great last Saturday. This is a Big Ten game, and like, it's great that he had 141 yards against Cincinnati. But like, I want to see him do this against a Big Ten team. So, and I want to see him do it this week. I want to see him do it next week, and then the next week, and next week. If he's a roller coaster the entire season, I don't think he'll look at this season and go, "Oh, I had a better year than last year." I think he'll look at it and go, "I had moments that were really good, but then I had moments that were really bad as well." The defense, I mean, I don't know there. But, yeah, consistency is going to be my thing. Yeah, for me, it's just it's very hard to say for sure. I mean, yeah, they've looked really good, especially against Cincinnati. They also have not played anybody that is of the caliber of the games that determine their season of and determine how good they really are. You, They have not been tested by a very dynamic offense yet. So as good as this defense has looked, what have they really been challenged by? Um, I just neither of those teams impresses me um, from an offensive standpoint, and and even offensively, have they played anybody that is really coming out and taking the fight to them and, and putting them in uncomfortable situations? Part of that is their execution. I mean, you know, Ohio State's execution has been fantastic. They've they've broken big plays. They've gone on methodical drives. I mean. Uh, Offensively, I still think so. If I had to pick one side, it's not necessarily that I feel like the defense is weak, but it's of the two sides, it's the one that I have the most questions about still because I just don't feel like they've been challenged by a really good team. And they're not, we're still, either still, those doubts are fair to have to some extent until you see them against one of these, you know, until they probably, I mean, maybe it's as early as this week against Indiana, and maybe it doesn't happen until what we thought it was going to be Nebraska, but they haven't looked that great either. No, and that's, I think some people have asked questions about that too. And like, uh, I think someone asked it on Twitter. And it's like, again, my caveat is I haven't watched any of those guys. I know, I didn't even watch, I, don't, I haven't watched the Michigan game. I know Michigan didn't right. look great. I know Nebraska hasn't looked great. They lost to Colorado. Um, Cleveland native Mel Tucker getting it done in Colorado. I, I will say, uh, and, and Bill and Ari talked about this on their podcast. And I know someone tweeted to me, like, hey, you like uh, introduced me to Bill and Ari's podcast. Thanks for doing that. And, and I, I like the rhythm of this. If you like uh, our podcasts, they go Monday, Friday. We go post-game on Saturday and Wednesday. So you get a nice flow during the week. So they were talking about us. We'll talk about them. It's a friendly rivalry. Um, they do a really good job. We do a really good job. This is my comparison. See if you guys think this is fair. I said this to them. I said, like, this podcast is The Bachelor, right? <laughs> and this is, like, the ground where, like, everybody gets introduced to the world, right? And so the see- the Bachelor stays the same, but it's different people, Right? That, like, there's different seasons. So Bill and Ari were both on The Bachelor. And then what they do with The Bachelor is they have people go to Bachelor in Paradise. And they take some of the people who have been on The Bachelor, some fan favorites, and they put them on an island and they get them drunk and they see what happens. So that's their (laughs) podcast now. And so they have been through people like the Ari season on Buckeye Talk. They like the Bill season on Buckeye Talk. They're now in paradise. Now we're on the Steven season. We're on the Nathan season. And I'm just Chris Harrison, man. And I'm just handing out roses. I'm just here introducing a rose ceremony. And there may be a day when you guys go off and you're on an exotic island somewhere. And I'm going to be here running rose ceremonies until the end of frickin' time. Yeah, so when do I get my Mai Tai? And my- <laughs> right. Yeah. Often, yeah. But this is The Bachelor. But, like, but this is, you know, here's the thing. Yeah. Bachelor in Paradise is great. It's not the original, though. Can't have Bachelor in Paradise without The Bachelor. And no one's ever going to pick me. No one's ever going to pick me to be The Bachelor or The Bachelorette. 
And no one's ever going to put me on a tropical island and try to get me drunk. Because when I get drunk, I just keep saying, I'm a mountain of a man. And nobody wants to hear that. Seriously? That's all I say. That's how you know when I am drunk. If you say to me, Doug, are you drunk? And I say, I'm not drunk. I'm a mountain of a man. And it's like, oh, you're drunk. Um, Why? I feel like Because it's my thing of like, I'm big. I have lots of room for like alcohol to slosh around in my body and not make me drunk. But I only say it when I am drunk. And I get drunk like once every five years. Um... But here, I, but here, I'm just a guy in a suit trying to watch other people fall in love. Here's the question. My answer for the weakness is, <clears throat> and I think what they talked about, like, it's like you want to start comparing these guys to 2014, which I think is fine. I think the hard thing with teams is you end up comparing the team in progress to the team that's finished. Yes. So, like, ideally, it'd be like you'd want to compare them, the 2019 Buckeyes, to the 2014 Buckeyes after two games. And I think that's kind of what they were doing. And it's like, well, after two games, they were one and one. They had just had this embarrassing loss to Virginia Tech. Everything had fallen apart. They, their offense looked like crap. I will say, and I've said this before, and I thought it was really interesting. Ryan Day was talking about Ben Victor on Tuesday, talking about how big of a deal Ben Victor is. If he's that X receiver, the X receiver gets a lot of one-on-one matchups, often faces press coverage. The Z receiver can go in motion, sometimes can go deep. You've got to win one-on-one matchups at X a lot of times. And if you can consistently... And if you're like always an option, you change the, you change your offense and you change how a defense plays you. And Ryan Day said that about Ben Victor. And we will note that Garrett Wilson is the other X receiver there. But Ben Victor, and I didn't know this at the time, his five catches and his 69 yards against Cincinnati were both career highs. He'd had a, one game with five catches, a different game with 69 yards previously. But that was as good as Ben Victor has ever been. Which is why I haven't been in love with Ben Victor. Because if you're in your second game of your senior year and you have five catches for 69 yards and that's the best you ever played. Now, he had the game-changing catch against Penn State. That was one play. That's what I've said about him. He's a flash guy. I don't know that he's a consistent game after game, down after down guy. If he can be that, that absolutely is a game changer. If Ben Victor becomes a guy on offense that defenses have to account for, that, man, if you don't give some help to that corner, he is going to smoke guys and get back shoulder throws and just get like 13 yards, eight times, you know, have eight receptions for 96 yards in big games. That is a game changer for this team. When I look at, for instance, and if we're going to start talking about this, we have to start talking about this. We have a question later who says they don't want to get too far ahead. We love getting too far ahead. Nathan is doing a playoff sort of an imaginary playoff thing every Tuesday because we're, that the Tuesdays when they're going to actually start doing the playoff rankings are going, to, are going to be here before we know it. I'm not sure who Ezekiel Elliott is. I'm not sure who Michael Thomas is. I'm not sure who Devin Smith is. I'm not 100% sure of the scariest guy on this offense. I think they have a lot of That's, good yeah. players. That's really fair. But if you're talking about let's go beat Penn State, let's – Wisconsin's going to pound Jonathan Taylor on us. Let's find a way to outscore Wisconsin. We're going on the road at Nebraska. J.D. Spielman is a, is a bolt of lightning. Let's find a way to outscore Nebraska if we need to. I, and, like, I think it's Chris Olave. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I think, and we've talked a lot about Chris Olave, I think. J.K. Dobbins, we've done a lot of writing and videos and talking <laughs> about J.K. Dobbins. Ben Victor, I, like... I just don't know. I'm not sure if you said who. I think people say like, oh, these receivers, these receivers. And that's great. And that's good. And I talked about the receivers before the year. I wasn't sure about this. I just like Michael Thomas and Ezekiel Elliott. And again, that's post-2014. At this point in 2014, 
Ezekiel Elliott wasn't Ezekiel Elliott. And I very clearly remember that was the year of the running back in the Big Ten. And people were talking about Melvin Gordon. They were talking about David Cobb at Minnesota. They were talking about, I think, Tevin Coleman at Indiana. We had a press conference in the middle of 2014 where somebody asked Urban Meyer a question about all the great running backs in the Big Ten and listed off five or six running backs in the Big Ten. And none of them were Ezekiel Elliott. And Urban Meyer said, we do have a lot of great running backs in the Big Ten, but I like my guy too. And you kind of thought like, oh, well, that's a nice thing to say. But I mean, because at that point in the year, Ezekiel Elliott was not Ezekiel Elliott. So it's not fair. It's not a fair comparison to compare mid-year 19, two games in 19, to end of season 14. But if I'm thinking about a possible weakness, because there aren't any obvious ones, who's Ted Ginn Jr.? Who's Santonio Holmes? Who's Beanie Wells? Who's that absolute super top-end guy that absolutely strikes fear? I'm, I'm not a thousand percent sure. I, 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 I a thousand percent see what you're saying, and I think that's a really valid point. Do you think it's plausible, though, that a team can still achieve at the highest level if it has this front line of really consistent guys? Maybe guys like a Ben Victor who comes into his own, maybe not to the point of some of those guys you're talking about, maybe not to all-American receiver status, but just really consistent, reliable guys in what they do. And then it's this younger group behind him that is the one that's flashing the big, you know, it, it, there's a there's a smaller margin for error there, though, obviously, because yeah. they really have to hit it every time they're in there. You know, um, you know, Garrett Wilson made that, I thought, a fantastic catch in the end zone, a fantastic play on the ball to make yep. that touchdown catch. Um, and it was but, his only catch. Right, I, I, right. But he's also not in there taking a lot of exactly. targets. That's what right. I'm saying. It has to be, you, you're asking them to do it almost every time they're in there, and that gets tough. So, watching Garrett Wilson highlights... Um, which obviously highlights every, is everything great, but then also the spring game, and then also like in Cincinnati, he rotates with Ben Victor, who's like the through the drive wide receiver, while Garrett seems to be like in the red zone, you know, the goal line fade or whatever route they're running type of guy, and because both of his like big time catches have been touchdown catches, and I think that's how they're using them because I don't like I don't know if Ben Victor doesn't have a touchdown yet this year. I don't think, while Garrett Wilson has one catch for a touchdown this year. So, like, this, I think if anybody's the Devin Smith, I think it's Garrett. I, I don't think it's going to be, like, 40-yard touchdown passes where he's catching them. But, like, I think if any, any – yeah, if, I think he's the Devin Smith of anybody just because of how they've been using them. But to, to your point, I don't, think, I don't think they can just have, like, a bunch of good guys. And to in the discussion we're having where it's like, oh, is this team going to be the 2014 team who won a national championship? Not in the league, not in a, in a year when like the other teams that they would be competing with for a national championship has two and three guys who are like the Michael Thomas's, the ZQL is the Devin Smith of their team. I don't think you can have a team of just a lot of good guys on offense and still compete at that level. I think the thing that you can win with perhaps win a national title with is an excellent defense and a really good quarterback that makes everybody better and good Across the board depth, but maybe you don't have maybe you don't have a skill guy who gets picked in the top three rounds. But Justin Fields elevates everybody else's play, and the defense is on fire. I was just about to say, as much as we don't maybe necessarily know who that super fearsome guy is on offense, we know who it is on defense, and I think the list could start to grow a little bit. I mean, you saw guys. some of the things, right? Some of the things you saw 
on Sunday against or Saturday against Cincinnati was people other than Chase Young. I remember you guys were talking about it on the on the podcast after the game. Like Tyreek Smith, with we, we we talked before about what happens when Chase Young is in the game and teams have to double team him and it opens things on the rest of that line or the rest of that front seven. But when Chase Young's out of the game and Tyreek Smith just goes in and eats a guy alive in front of a hundred thousand people, like that's a really positive sign. I mean, there's there, and I thought you know the game that Sean Wade had. Uh, we know what some of these cornerbacks can do. I mean, there, there's it, it may be that this team gets it done in a different way by having more of that elite talent on the defensive side of the ball. Um, this leads into a defense question from our guy Pete Capo. Do you think? This defense could be top 20. Um, the line is clearly the best group on the team, and the secondary is not far off. Even the linebackers look like someone got the message to the boys that Bill Davis couldn't get through. Play fast, hit hard. Yeah, I think they could be. Like top one of the 20 best defenses in the nation. Um, that includes two guys at two at the two most important spots in a defense, first pass rusher and corner, that could be picked in the top 15 of the draft. Yeah, I think they could be. Yeah, so I think easily, yeah. Which, and again, a lot of people I know. There's somebody I respect. Uh, it's a guy named Ian Wharton, who's like a draft analyst on Twitter and an NFL guy, um, and was responding. I think someone tweeted back at him because I picked nine and three, and I think he responded to my tweet and said like I see nine and three too. And somebody was like, "Man, you guys were off on this." And Ian was saying like, "I didn't think the defense would be this good." Um, I'm not surprised by the defense. Again, I feel like my nine and three, which we're not going to talk about, was more connected to Justin Fields. But like, I, I'm not surprised that a defense with with this amount of talent when they got better schemed up and better coached and got more confidence as a result I, i'm not surprised to see them play at this level i mean right now this is the the defense where like running games go to die right now i mean they they just shut cincinnati down a pretty good running back there and just just devoured him on saturday um if that's something that they can consistently do all season and then you're putting other teams into second and long, third and long situations consistently. And now Chase Young is coming at you down after down after down when you've got that many yards to go consistently throughout a game. Um, it just it's 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 playing right into um, the strengths of what is already a pretty strong defense. Uh, I want to get to this question because it's something that that I almost at the end interjected on Ryan Day, and I held off. Um, because sometimes I don't I don't want to put words in guys' mouths, but but sometimes when coaches talk in a certain way, the phrases they use are interesting to me. Love the pod, love the Bucks, and loathe the fact that there's talk of playoffs when we haven't seen this staff and team have to deal with any adversity, let alone a conference or road game. Call it premature prognostication. That's from the two three nine. The thing that I wanna I wanna reference off of that is Ryan Day, I thought on Tuesday, said a couple times he referenced best in the nation. Yeah, I was talking about that, yeah. We want to be the best in the nation. We want the defense to be the best in the nation. Um, Do you think that was coach speak? That's just what coaches say. Hey, we want to be good. He could have said that, like, best in the nation, you could have replaced with really good, and it means the same thing. Or was that any clue to you of how he talks to this team, what he wants this standard to be with this team? Because the thing that we've talked about a lot is – I mean, there's one thing to be the best in the Big Ten. There's another thing to try to play at Alabama and Clemson's level. And to me, if you're throwing around, and not throwing around, and I don't mean that cavalierly, but if you're using the phrase best in the nation, you are saying to people, if you are using it with any kind of purpose, 
you're putting yourselves on an Alabama and Clemson level, or you're laying down the gauntlet of that's our goal, and we're not shying away from it. We don't just want to be good. We don't want to be improved. We don't want to be the best in the Big Ten. We don't want to be make a playoff caliber. He could have said playoff caliber. He said best in the nation, I think, at least three times on Tuesday. Did you read that as anything or just one of those things that comes out of a coach's mouth and it doesn't mean that much? I've only been here three weeks or whatever it is, but I've heard multiple players use that same phrasing in answers to questions in other interview scenarios. So I think it is something that is being talked about away from the media by by this team. And I think I think it makes a lot of sense. I mean, that is at the end of the day, that's the standard. That's what Ohio State's supposed to be from what I'm told. That's what this is all supposed to be about. This is a team, this is a program that expects to compete for national championships at a greater consistency than the average team does. And they should plausibly be able to do that, but the only way you do that is by setting that standard. It's about intentionality and it's about um, setting that vision, but also having a plan to get there. And I think talking about it in those terms is a healthy thing because, again, it goes back to what I was saying before. If you're playing, when you come out of the Miami of Ohio game and you just beat them 56 to 7 or whatever, and, you know, what's how better to teach to to turn that into a, a greater positive by teaching something than to start, than to take your film and show your guys. This is how you ran that play. Here's how the same guy approached that at Alabama or Clemson and and how much cleaner they did it, how much better they did it. That's what I mean, I would use that as a teaching tool. You should you can't because if you're just you can't compare yourself to Miami of Ohio. You have to always be comparing yourself to the other very best teams in the country or else you're not going to get to their level. I think he thinks <clears throat> I think that he started realizing this team is a little better than he thought they were going to be early on cuz there was a, a a point where it was like just be patient. It's year 1. Like he, he kind of was like preparing for like there might be a loss or or another one there, and then they got in the fall camp and the full team got on the roster and everybody was there and the way he would talk about the defense where you know, we talked about with dual threat quarterbacks sometimes they're going to turn the ball over and we would talk and he would all he would come in from scrimmages and say the defense was turn was getting turnover after turnover after turnover and we're thinking. Well, Justin Fields may be a tur- turnover machine. Well, Justin Fields hasn't looked like a turnover machine these first two ge- weeks, yet the defenses look just as good as the way Ryan Day would talk about them coming out of these scrimmages. And so I think he came into this season going into spring camp thinking, okay, year one, be patient, be patient. And then they got on the field in the fall, and that changed. And now it is more we might be able to do some make some noise in year one. All right, let's uh, let's take a quick break from us because I want you guys to hear from Zach Osterman uh, from the Indy Star, Nathan's former colleague, um, talking about Indiana, talking about this Indiana team, and he's going to give you some information that I think I think will affect your view uh, of how not worried, but how interesting, how curious you should be about this game, whether Indiana, and that's the thing too. I mean, all this trap stuff. There's the emotional and mental part of of the the favorite. But there's the idea of the underdog has to have the horses to be able to pull it off. Um, is Indiana in that range at all? Uh, let's hear that from Zach Osterman of the Indy Star. And then we will be back with more of your text questions here on Buckeye Talk. All right, joined here on Buckeye Talk by Zach Osterman, the uh, finest writer of Indiana sports that you will find. Zach Osterman, people in Ohio are maybe wondering if this could be a trap game for Ohio State. Is there a world, or what would the world look like where Indiana gives Ohio State a real game on Saturday? Yeah, I, I mean, 
I'm always hesitant to use the term trap game. It, it feels kind of overused, especially when you cover the team I cover and, and everybody just sort of sees Indiana as the eternal trap game. Um, I do think that at the moment, Indiana is an intriguing team because Indiana is probably more talented than it's been in a long while. Um, but Indiana is also young and it's, it's an experienced youth. It's, it's guys who've played a lot for, you know, second, third, fourth year players. Um, but they're still second, third and fourth year players. And so there's going to be mistakes. There's going to be growing pains. Um, but there's also going to be some of that exuberance tied together with a defense that's probably more athletic than it's been certainly in at least a couple of years. In some spots, maybe is as athletic as I've ever seen it in my time covering Indiana. Um, an offense that's more explosive this, this season than it was last, or at least early on, but that's obviously going to be tested this weekend. And, you know, just a program full of people that are, are hell-bent on finally picking up one of these wins that, that, and I think are probably closer to finally picking up one of these sort of signature Big Ten East wins uh, that obviously we've seen Indiana come, you know, so tantalizingly near the last few years only to fall short over and over again. Man, that now I think it is. Now I hate trap games too. It's like we spent so much time talking about trap games and like Ohio State. You know, it's like they're either playing somebody that they should beat the crap out of or they're playing a good team. And so then you end up trying to find, oh, I don't know, could this be it? And then they have these Purdue and Iowa games the last two years that came out of nowhere. And so now everyone's looking for the game out of nowhere. But, Zach, the thing that I I, I think happened with the Purdue and Iowa games for Ohio State is Iowa had some NFL guys, Noah Fant, TJ Hawkinson on that team, Josh Jackson, a cornerback at Iowa, all NFL guys on that team played really well that game. Rondale Moore at Purdue, I think, is going to be an NFL guy, played really well last year in that Purdue win. So I think when you look for these underdog teams, I think these teams have to have some NFL talent somewhere at a spot here or a spot there where maybe they can actually win a matchup with Ohio State. Are there a couple spots with Indiana where, where there are guys like, yeah, I think that guy's going to be a fourth-round pick someday. Or, yeah, there's some NFL talent at this position or that position where Indiana could maybe have some kind of edge on the Buckeyes. Is that out there at all? Yeah, I mean, it is and it isn't. And, and what I mean by that is I do think that there's some guys on both sides of the ball on this team that are going to wind up playing on Sundays um, and not just as undrafted free agents, you know, but but in, in genuine – um, spots that said, I'm talking to you about guys who are redshirt sophomores right now, a lot of them or true sophomores, or, I mean, you know, it's, it's miles and miles down the road. I wouldn't even put past because of his arm strength and, and his makeup, Michael Penix being an NFL type quarterback someday, but he's a redshirt freshman making his third start. So it, it's one of those where if it were a, a, a more down year for Ohio state, um, maybe I'd see it, or if I felt like Indiana could match up a little bit more, you know, like I, I look at it, put it this way. If it's, if it's Michigan on Saturday with the way that Michigan is kind of struggling to ease into its new offense and, and some of the problems there, then I'd say Indiana has a real chance. Now, I don't know if Indiana's going to have a real chance when Michigan's in Bloomington in late November, but if it was Saturday, I'd say, I think Indiana has a real chance. Um, but Ohio State has already shown a propensity for being able to put put up big crooked numbers 
on the scoreboard. And I think that, that whatever else may be going on with Ohio State in terms of easing into a new head coach and all that, and you'd know them better than me, um, I think that that can cover up a lot of, you know, a lot of shortcomings. It can answer for a lot of sins. And I just don't know that I'm comfortable yet saying Indiana can keep that pace. Uh, you know, I think that there's a world where Indiana can. I think there's certainly a world where Indiana's defense can keep up a little bit longer, where, you know, we, it seems like every year we have this conversation where Ohio State beats Indiana by somewhere between 16 and 24 points. And at the end of the game, we all say to ourselves, boy, it, it, it seems like that game was closer than the final score suggested. And it's because Indiana faded at the end because finally they, they hit a wall and just couldn't, you know, keep the pace any longer. I think there's a world where Indiana maybe can keep that pace, especially with its defense, more than it has in years past. But I just don't know if its offense is quite ready yet. Um, with a redshirt freshman quarterback, this is only Kalen DeBoer's third game at Indiana. I'm just not comfortable yet saying that that Indiana's offense is ready to score against Ohio State's defense at the level that it would need to. So I, I get what you're saying, um, and I think that, that maybe in a couple of years we could be talking about an Indiana team that has some of that talent. Um, and that's why I think that it's possible Indiana finally gets one of these scalps, one of the you know, one of the big four in the East this year. Um, I'm just not sure it's going to be Ohio State on Saturday unless Indiana can do something to to really throw Ohio State off rattle fields or 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 create a couple of early turnovers somehow and really get ahead on the scoreboard and put a little bit of doubt in somebody's mind. Two more for you, Zach. I, I think last week, Luke Fickle, who's the former Buckeye, the Cincinnati head coach, really tried to keep his players. He didn't let his players talk to the media the whole week and really tried to not think about Ohio State. They looked at it as a top five opportunity against anybody, but they didn't try to make it about Ohio State. I've read a couple quotes just reading, following your Twitter this week of, of someone saying Ohio State's like the Yankees and that, and that they seemed it seemed to me like Indiana was like leaning into the challenge that maybe they're not. They're not trying to act like oh, it's just another team. They're acknowledging that, like, this is Ohio State. This is the big dog. Um, and to me, that's a healthier way to go about it. Admit, like, yeah, it's Ohio State, and we're going to take our best shot. From that intangible, mental, emotional standpoint, how do you think Tom Allen and this staff and these players seem to be approaching this game? Yeah, I, I think, I mean, number one, I think it's fair. I think it really helps that the Cincinnati game happened. Like, I think that from Indiana's perspective, Indiana would never be looking past Ohio State, obviously. But I think from Indiana's perspective, being able to point at Cincinnati and say, hey, stop daydreaming. Like, don't just sit there thinking about, oh, gee, what, wouldn't it be great if I was on the IU team that beat Ohio State for the first time since, like, what, 1987? Um, because look what they did to a really good Cincinnati team just last week. You know, I mean, I think that any sharpness Indiana needed, any reminder Indiana needed, it got in spades, and I think that helps. I do also think that there's just a little bit of a different – you know, I, I remember Tom Allen's first season in Indiana. It wasn't actually that long ago. I shouldn't say it wistfully as though it was, you know, 15 years ago. Um, but Indiana, that was the year Indiana opened with Ohio State on the Thursday night. ESPN was in town. Yep. And and Tom Allen repeatedly for months called it the, the biggest opener in program history. And he blew it up to be this really big thing. And Indiana, to its credit, played well for a, a long stretch of that game before doing what I, we talked about before and, you know, fading near the end. Um, but I think that it it felt like it was almost making too much out of the game then. 
you know, like blowing it up to be this big, huge opportunity. And then guess what? Ohio State just came into town and knocked you aside and, and, you know, moved on, just kept moving on down the line the way that Ohio State does. I think, I think Tom Allen's got a healthier way of going about these types of games now in terms of recognizing, you know, the opposite, the challenge, but also, as he said several times this week, the opportunity that, that playing in Ohio State would present for his program. And so I sort of wonder if, if nothing else, Tom Allen has really figured out a way to just sort of get his guys to look at this and say, it's Ohio State. It's the challenge we face every year, you know, playing these four teams in the Big Ten East, two at home, two on the road. They've got elite athletes. They've got four- and five-star prospects up and down the roster. That's never going to change. There's not going to be some year where Ohio State just runs out of five-star guys. We know what the challenge is. We've just got to keep incrementally upping our own game until we can meet that level. And I think Indiana is closer to that. You know, I don't think Indiana ever bridges that gap completely, obviously, but I think Indiana, I think that gap is, is closer than it's been in recent years. I just, I'm still skeptical of whether or not it's close enough. Last one on the quarterback, you mentioned Michael Penix. Um, I think everybody agrees. Greg Madison, the Ohio state co-defensive coordinator was asked about it Tuesday, you know, What's tougher, a good dropback passer or a dual threat guy? And he said a dual threat guy. I think all these coordinators say dual threat guy because they can make something out of nothing. Um, what is the ability of Michael Penix to do that to maybe – I mean, I think you assume that like Chase Young's going to get in the backfield and that they're going to get after you. But will Michael Penix be able to do things where he turns a sack into a big run or he escapes and turns it into a big throw? What's that ability there? And then, again, you talked about how young he is, but – what? What is sort of the ability of this guy and how it compares to maybe the people you've seen, you've seen play quarterback at Indiana? Are there some tools there that are maybe rare for an Indiana quarterback? Yeah, I mean, I think kind of to, to start at the beginning and, and go forward, he, he, is, he does have escapability. I mean, he sees himself as a pocket passer, but, but Indiana um, wants him to be willing to run. Now, that doesn't mean 20 times a game. That doesn't mean a whole bunch of design draws and options and things like that it just means that they want the they want the the option on the table so to speak you know if things break down Michael Penix and and there's a a lane to escape up the field for 10 or 12 yards Indiana does not mind Michael Penix doing that because um, when I say he's deceptively fast I don't mean that he's deceptively fast in the old way we describe unathletic quarterbacks I mean nobody's seen him run like he he actually got hurt on a scramble against Penn State last season. It, it may have been his best open field run of the year. I've seen this guy tear off, you know, 45, 50-yard runs in practice. I've seen him outrun safeties and corners at the edge. Um, it's not something he's going to do a ton of, but it is something he can do. And I think that for Indiana, it's going to be a balance. Like, you know, if, if Michael Penix finishes that game with, let's say, 11 or 12 true rushes, between design stuff and and stuff where he scrambled when when the play broke down that seems to me to be ideal for indiana because that means he used his legs within the 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 confines of the game plan but he also was willing to use his legs when things broke down if it's less than that then i think probably what it's going to be is a lot of those rushing attempts are going to be sacks if it's more than that then i think that that indiana will have had to throw out too much of its game plan to realistically have a chance um, because this is a guy at the same time, to answer your second question, he has got an incredibly strong left arm. And there's a couple elements to that. The, the first is the strength, which is what has allowed Indiana to be more explosive offensively. And I think Indiana was going to be more explosive offensively, whether it was Penix or Ramsey, either one. 
Um, but I think that Penix in particular is the guy in the three-man quarterback room Indiana's got that can take the top off the defense uh, more than anyone else. I mean, he had a deep touchdown pass against uh, uh, Ball State in the first week. He also had a, a play in that game where he snapped and kind of rolled to his play side or to his uh, to his left side, to his strong side, because he felt pressure coming behind him. And he had Nick Westbrook open probably about 45, maybe even 50 yards downfield, but on the opposite hash. And he not really setting his feet. I mean, basically just sort of jump stopping and throwing, put it right at Westbrook's stomach from about 50 yards away, but also crossing the hashes. So realistically something probably more like 75 yards away and Westbrook dropped it. Um, it was one of those where he said afterward, he felt like he was open for too long. He was too open. Um, but it was kind of one of those. It was like, okay, so that's the arm strength this guy's got. Um, and he's not just a guy that's strong and you think, well, maybe we can teach him accuracy as he goes down the line. He threw a couple picks against Ball State, but he came back and had a really good game against Eastern Illinois. He goes through his progressions quickly, sometimes maybe almost too quickly, but I don't think he keys too much on any one guy. Um, he's a smart quarterback, essentially, and he's a poised quarterback. One of the things that his coaches always said about him coming out of high school is he was just one of those guys that no matter what was going on, he was just very calm and quiet and confident. Like he just he, he never wavered whether things were going well or things were going poorly, and I think that's carried on to college. And the other thing about him, too, and this is kind of one of those weird things, but it's, I think, I think left-handed quarterbacks throw people off sometimes. Interesting. Because, like when, yep. when, he came, when, he, when he came out of high school, a bunch of IU fans said to me, don't you think he throws funny? And it was sort of like, no, I don't think he throws funny. I just don't think you know what – like I don't think you watch a left-hander throw a football very often. And so it all looks backward to you. Um, and so I, I don't think that that's necessarily some massive advantage. There are plenty of left-handed quarterbacks out there. But I think sometimes when you haven't seen a lefty in a long time and the arm slot's different and the angle's different and everything's kind of coming at you in, in an opposite way, it can throw you off a little bit and give the quarterback just a little bit of an advantage. Now, I said all of that, this kid has not been tested anywhere near the way he's going to be tested on Saturday. He hasn't been sacked yet this season. I, I would be – I mean, if, if that stat holds into Sunday morning, I would be surprised if Indiana hadn't upset Ohio State, but I would also be surprised if that stat holds into Sunday morning. Indiana still has not gotten its run game really going at all um, yet this season, and that's something that against a team like Ohio State, you have got to be able to soften up that defense in the middle, slow down that pass rusher. It's going to be a long day. And Ohio State's probably going to force them into more mistakes than anybody else had. And so then it's a – a test of that, that composure and that demeanor, but obviously at a much higher level. So I think it's a big day for him. I think it's a big day for Indiana. I don't think Indiana needs to win, but I think, and I apologize, this, this answer is kind of rambling now, but I think in, a lot of what Indiana said it thought it was going to be and what it said it, it would be through the offseason has come to pass through these first two games. More explosive on offense, more athletic on defense, deeper everywhere. And, and just a little bit – with a little bit more swagger. All of that has come to pass. And I don't think Indiana needs to beat Ohio State. But if Indiana can make Ohio State really work for this game and then work for this win in a way that maybe it hasn't been able to do to Ohio State in a few years, then I think even in a loss, not to, to celebrate moral victories, that could be really good for a young team to be able to say, you know, that's probably pound for pound the most talented team in the Big Ten – and we made them earn it 
all the way down the line, not for three quarters, not for three quarters and one drive, but all the way down the line, we made them earn it. Imagine what we can do when it's not Ohio state. And I think that's maybe where this Saturday is a really interesting litmus test for Indiana going into the rest of the season. Man, you should have a radio show. That was really good. That was, that was <laughs> I, do, good I actually do. I do a radio show for about uh, once a week here in town, actually. So Man, how do you get that gig? I want some of that radio action. I just have this podcast that nobody pays me for. Um, well, I get I get paid $20 an hour for a one-hour show. So, Listen, man, that'll, that'll buy you a little Chipotle or whatever you need. Um, yeah. Zach Osterman, we, we, we love your work. Uh, we greatly appreciate you taking time uh, to, to talk to us here on Buckeye Talk, and we will look forward to seeing you on Saturday. Absolutely. Drive safe. All right, thanks to Zach for doing that. Uh, back to your questions here on Buckeye Talk. Again, $3.99 a month. I think, I think, I mean, either I'm so um, needy that people just stick around because they think, oh, man, I don't want to quit the text because Doug's feelings will be hurt, um, which is possible. I'm very needy. Or people like it because, again, most people who try it have stuck around Four dollars. I mean, again, think of the ridiculous things that you spend four dollars on in a month. I am not the most. I am among the most ridiculous. I will not be the most ridiculous. Cleveland.com slash OSU. We have ads about it all over the place. Also, projecttext.com slash Buckeye Talk will take you right there. 14-day free trial, $3.99 a month, a couple texts a day. And I forgot, I I missed the one text from the person um, who said... Uh, wanted to know if I was a robot because I texted so much. I think I already said that, but that's how often I text. My fiance believes you are a robot due to the high volume of texts you send me per day. Please discuss. I did send a text, and the problem is we do have some people who are on the West Coast and subscribe to the text because that's their link to the team that they care about. I try not to send a text before like 10 a.m. because that's 7 a.m. West Coast. I sent one at 8.30 Tuesday morning because I got a recruiting commit. And then I saw someone had said, like, you sent me a text at 5.30 in the morning about recruiting. But they weren't <laughs> mad. Like, if you get like if you get this text and you care about the Buckeyes enough to pay $3.99 a month for this, then you might want to be woken up by a text at 5.30 in the morning. I will say, one of the other texters who shall remain nameless, like, got excited, like, early in this thing and, like, sent one at, like, 2 o'clock in the morning. Oh, wow. Like, and, uh, and it was like, yeah, that is not really... <laughs> What should we be doing? Oh, my God. What is it? Who's? Oh, is the house? Oh. Oh, it's just a text about a sports team. Oh, my God. It's woke me from a dead slumber. So I'll try not to do that. But, again, if they get – they got a recruiting commit on Christmas one time, which that – talk about me not wanting to do this job anymore. When they got a recruiting commitment on on Christmas, I was like, I am going into PR tomorrow. Oh, yeah. That was Um, was a bit much. So maybe – I mean, if it's recruiting, then you got to deal with recruiting. What are you going to do? Uh, let's see. Let's go with, I absolutely believe in trap games in the 614 in the urban era. I'm hopeful that Day's leadership keeps the team's focus where it should be. And the emotional mental preparation is military grade. I will say a lot of people have a sort of espoused that theory that urban was maybe higher and lower, that he got him up for the big games with like the way uh, the, the, uh, of things. And that maybe that somehow made you more susceptible to the down games. Um, like I don't know if I believe that, but I think it's an interesting theory, and like it will be a str- it will be an interesting world again. If like if 
if they beat all the teams they're supposed to beat this year and they lose to three ranked teams, and then it's like, oh, they didn't have the dips, but it's also like they couldn't climb as high when it was needed because they didn't have the... You know, I, I don't know. I don't think, you know, like... That's certainly two games in. I wrote last week, is Urban Meyer t- is Ryan Day tough enough? And it's one of the things I talked about with Urban Meyer. And if, if I get it done, there should be a giant Urban Meyer story dropping on Cleveland.com on Wednesday from my 45-minute discussion with him in his office last week. Um, so I don't, like, I, I don't really think that's going to happen. I don't think that like an inability to rise to an emotional level against a top 25 team will necessarily be the thing, that, if they lose this year, why they would lose. But I think it's an interesting theory as we try to figure out how, this is gonna, how all this is going to work. It might be a trap game if it were a true road game in a hostile stadium. Do you know how many Ohio State fans will likely be there on Saturday? Shaking my head or doing whatever yes. else is SMH, yes. Steven Atlanta. <laughs> Um, That's a real listener right there. That is a thing. Um, and Nathan, I mean, you you worked in Indiana, but that's always been a thing here with people of Ohio State travels so well that sometimes a game at Indiana doesn't feel like a road game. Well, it's it's also less noticeable at Indiana because they're wearing red and white anyway, right? Now, it's more noticeable when they would bring like a, a big contingent, uh, where you know, Ohio State, Nebraska, Wisconsin brings a huge contingent to Ross Aid Stadium, where you've got gold and black as your colors, and now there's these giant swaths of nothing but red in the in the crowd. That, that's a lot more noticeable. But I, I think it's more. But I, I think I think in past, yeah, I think it probably is a real thing that you're you're going to notice just from crowd response, crowd emotion, a difference more than just like looking out into it. Uh, let's see. Um, huh, there's a lot of trap game stuff. Uh, was that in response game, to a game, question? Did I you did ask, ask a lot about okay. trap. I said, like, tell me what you think, and also, um, like, tell me what you think, but also say about trap games. Um, well, this is for Nathan, too. Nathan's AP ballot from week one dumped Nebraska and warned about Washington. Last week's results, nailed it. Does Nathan have any more good calls on overrated teams? Joseph in Atlanta. Um, Nathan, are you uh, are you using your ballot to predict the future? <laughs> Not intentionally. <laughs> I did. I mean, it, 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 both of those things were. And it, let's let's be. So I had a skepticism of Nebraska before that first game, and I, I thought certainly after the way that first game played out, there were twenty five teams I could justify putting ahead of them. So, but they were still in that conversation. You know, for anybody who's done one of these ballots, I'll tell you that. The difference between like twenty one and like thirty is pretty slim. Any, you can take any like four or five spots on the poll, and that's true. Um, the second thing, the, the the Washington thing was, I didn't really. I put this thing in my in my write up each week um, that that posts every Sunday at noon. By the way, um, that I was going to pick each week, like which of the top fifteen teams is like most poised for an upset. And I said in there, I don't think any of these teams are going to lose except whoever loses the Texas LSU game. But if I had to pick one, I was like, sometimes crazy crap just seems to happen in the Pac-12. And that's kind of what happened. They went to Cal and lost. Take credit for your good pick, man. That's good stuff. Um, But I didn't pick it. It was kind of more of, I I specifically said, none of these teams are going to lose. And that I was actually wrong about. That is the best. See, you're very you're, you're like, too humble, man. That is the best way to make a pick is to make a pick that's not really a pick. So if you're wrong, you can say, "Well, I didn't really pick it." But if you're right, you can be like, "Well, I kind of picked it." That's the best kind of pick, Stephen. Yo, 
This person from the 321 says, I do believe in trap games. I don't think Indiana has won. The reasons there are upperclassmen on this team that have been to Bloomington and been in a dogfight there before. When you do think about this team, I mean, again, it's this 2017 class that is so important to this team. All these juniors, Chase Young, and again, juniors in this day and age are your veterans because Chase Young's not going to be here as a senior. This is as old as Chase Young is going to be as a college football player. I mean, he'll be older like tomorrow than he is today. But other than that, how do you think that factors into this? There have been times, for instance, the 2016 team that actually won a bunch of tough road games, like crazy tough road games, was really young. Just from covering what, talking to these guys in the preseason during the first two weeks, do you think, do you get any like sense of maturity because they have some guys who have played a lot that that would maybe lessen the chance of, of falling into something at Indiana? Yeah, they've lost two trap games since they've been here. And they've so- lived it. Yeah, so, like, they know what not to do. So, you know, you lose from... For a team who hasn't had a lot of losses to learn from, you kind of... You can kind of learn more... You can kind of lean on those few losses you have and kind of take more out of those than maybe you should just simply because there's not a lot to learn from, from, you know, when you only lose nine games in seven years. So, yeah, they've lived it, and they know exactly what not to do, and now they can apply it because... Some, a lot of these guys have been playing. Like, Chase Young has been – he's gotten time. J.K. Dobbins has been a starter since his freshman year. So, yeah. I mean, you, yeah, I do think that. They've been – they have a lot of guys they've have been, been through it. They've been of, through this. It's not just on the sideline. Like, I've actually been on the field and actually went through it. Justin Fields has not, but all, but almost everybody else that matters has. Yeah. Um, this is actually a direct question for Nathan. It's a really interesting question for Nathan from the 310. He's got a unique perspective coming over – having covered Purdue. I'd love to have him unwrap all the things that go into playing against Ohio State from both the players' and fans' perspective. What do they think about the Buckeyes? Is it truly everyone's Super Bowl, or are we overstating that? Are the players or fans intimidated, or do they relish playing against Ohio State, or is it just another game on the schedule? I don't think it's I don't think it's fair to call it another team's Super Bowl because it often unto itself doesn't come with um, a full reward. I mean, per- certainly if a team like last year, Northwestern playing Ohio State for the Big Ten Championship has more of a Super Bowl feel because there's a trophy and there are, there are th- real tangible things gained at the end of winning that game. For most teams though, it is a, a an opportunity for what we were talking about before, just one of those you know, th- and I said this I think I mentioned this early on, like we were, somebody, as soon as I got here, people were asking about that Purdue game, and I was telling people, hey, I know Ohio State fans don't want to hear this, but that's what makes college football great, is once in a while Purdue beats Ohio State. Like, that's, it, 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 you get to win national championships too, and Purdue doesn't, but once in a while Purdue gets to beat you, and that's what makes college football great. And I think it's, it's, it, it's more looked at as, um, a, a difference maker in the kind of season you ultimately end up having. You know, you, you go into any, every team goes into a season and they think, all right, well, we are at this tier. I'm talking about the way fans look at it. You know, we're at this tier, and we can probably beat, we have a chance of beating these seven teams, and then these other five, it's going to be a lot harder, and maybe these three we have no chance at all. And a lot of times Ohio State is one of those three if you happen to be playing them. But if you can beat them, it changes the complexion of your whole season. You're potentially going to a better bowl. You're potentially challenging for a division. You're the West division in a different way. I'm, I'm speaking specifically just from having covered Purdue these last few years. So 
I don't necessarily think of it as a Super Bowl, um, but it's it's one of those things where like you're getting kind of a free roll in a way. Nobody expects you to win. There's there isn't the same pressure on you, but there's a lot to be gained if you happen to cash it in the way Purdue did last year. And and for Purdue last year, that ended up in a odd way being the difference between whether they made a bowl or not because they started off so poorly. They start off zero and three playing you know playing pretty sloppy losing games they shouldn't and had to really rally at the end of the year and that game was kind of indicative of the surge they made i will say this is my 15th year covering college football because i did not cover college football before i got this job i helped out a little bit on like university of delaware fcf stuff um so i have never covered a college football game where the team that i covered was like well we're gonna lose this game you know, like, I don't know. They don't say that publicly. But, but like, but you must, are there some times that, like, that you get a vibes from a guy of, like, well, we're going to, of course we're going to take our best shot. But, like, have you seen Chase Young? Well, like, again, it's not things they say publicly. But you know. You know when those guys are watching film and they see the guy they have at right tackle. Who's, have you, you know, seen a, Chase he's Young? He's like a redshirt freshman who's just figuring <laughs> things out. And that's, you get to block Chase Young on Saturday. And we're like, well... That yeah. ain't gonna happen. Like so, like, hey man, who do you have to block on Saturday? Oh man, I have to block Chase Young. Oh man, I have to block Nick Bosa. Well, or actually, oh, more to the point, they look and see, oh, our right tackle and our right guard both have to block Chase Young. Right. Which means these guys that have to go head to head with these other three grown men right. are in trouble. I actually yeah, wrote a story about like I asked a bunch of like offensive linemen at media days what's it like to block Chase Young, and none of them gave answers that like led that any of them were ever excited about blocking Chase Young. I relish the challenge of <laughs> dealing with such a fine talent. No, like please help me. Um, but it, that is a weird thing because even like because like, we well, pretend that this isn't the NFL. All these teams, and I know that there there there's an hierarchy in the NFL on a given year too. But in theory, all those teams are even. You're all playing with a salary right. cap. You're all drafting your yeah. talent. And that's not what happens in college football. No. There is a very skewed, um, uneven landscape in college football. Financially, reputationally, um, the, for any number of reasons. So it, it, it's, it, it's, not, it's disingenuous to pretend that teams don't look at their schedules that way. It, it, the, the NFL is designed... For parity, right, and college football is designed for non-parity or disparity, right, or unparity or whatever the word is. Um, it's constantly like every decade. There's like six teams of like 150 who have a chance to win a national championship, and really it kind of and really only narrows down to like two or three who are actually like gonna have a chance to do so. Well, because some of those I just wrote about it in my little thing today about the playoff was like um, this is all fanciful right now but what what starts to determine this is when some of those teams play each other knock each other off it becomes kind of eliminator thing eventually so it would be weird like it almost it almost makes me want to cover an ohio state game where it's like well you guys aren't gonna win like going into a game like 2011 i would throw out the window because also but even in 2011 they ended up six and seven but there weren't games like the day the week before where it was like well you're overmatched it was like Crazy stuff happened, and they got an extra point blocked against Purdue in the Michigan game. The ball was on Devere Posey's fingertips, and, like, you know, they almost – like, there was a lot of weird stuff that happened, but they weren't just absolutely, like, going into a week. Like, if, if Ohio State played, like, the Patriots – I was literally about to say the Patriots. And it was like, well, like, it doesn't mean – it doesn't mean that you're not great, Ohio State. It means that you're playing the Patriots. Right. 
and it's not your fault. But that's like what people, that's what Miami of Ohio is going to face next week. It's like, Miami of Ohio, you're good. But you can't beat the Patriots. They're the Patriots. They, you can't beat Ohio State. They have a waterfall in their locker room. They literally, they have, there's not a single player on this team that will be in the two deep for Ohio State. You can't win. I almost think it makes me, makes me interested. It almost makes me want Ohio State to play the Patriots. Well, it, it, there have to be stakes here, too. I mean, that's, again, it's what makes college football great. It, what makes college football great is the same team that can lose to Eastern Michigan at home, which is what Purdue did last year, can then go on and beat Ohio State. Like, that's if that didn't happen on occasion, this would be a really, really boring enterprise. Starting, it just would. The starting quarterback at LSU, who just took down Texas in Texas, didn't win the starting job. At Ohio State. But everybody loves him. Um, <laughs> people love Joe Burrow. Yeah, he's awesome. They love him. Uh, two games in, hindsight may only need reading glasses. I don't know what that means. Steven in, in Norwalk says, There was a lot what? of preseason disappointment that no drastic changes were made in the linebacking core. Are you still disappointed? Or is the change in scheme enough? We talked to Pete Werner today. Um, we've talked to Tuck Borland this season. We haven't gotten to talk to uh, Baron Browning yet. We did talk to Malik Harrison after the game we the, other to the other day. talked to Browning the other day, actually. You didn't talk to Baron Browning. I missed, that's right, I missed Baron Browning. I'm trying to write I, something on Browning for this week. I want to keep Baron Browning to myself, but that's not fair. And I understand the idea of, like, I don't get to pick, like, oh, the 11th best recruit in the country. He's my guy. Nobody else can have that guy. What if we could do that? No, who would you pick? Like, I mean, obviously, you're picking Baron. I mean, like, I feel like I my guys are Baron and Demario, and like yeah. it's working out for Baron, and it kind of like is not working out for Demario. And someone right. was like, "Are you gonna take Master Teague as your guy now that like Demario's kind of eh, I don't know what's happening with him?" But I'm not. I'm loyal to Demario, but it just seems to be going a little bit better for Baron right now. Nathan, um, you know, again, I don't have the long-standing relationship that some of you guys have. That's I mean, okay. I mean like, um. That's a great question. You don't have to. They don't even know who I am. And I've only adopted right. him. If I said to Demario, come up, McCall, like, Demario, you're my guy. He would be like, old man, who are you? Yeah. Stop bothering I me. I mean, I just, you know, so I think you would lock down, like, the most dynamic players. on. I mean, you would definitely take Chase Young. 100 You're a huge Chase Young fan. Oh, yeah. And maybe J.K.? No, like I wouldn't take J.K. I would say Okunia. I would take, or Chris Olave. Um, those kind of guys. I would take, obviously, Chase. And if I have to pick it, I'd take Ben Victor. Like he was really like cocky after the Big Ten Championship night last year and said that this is going to be a big year for him. He's been pretty solid so far, so he's been a profit to that so far. Let's see if he keeps it up. But yeah, definitely Chase. 5-1-3, how can you watch the Buckeyes these past two years and not believe in trap <clears throat> games? But no, I don't think this is one, at least one that the Buckeyes will lose from the 5-1-3. Uh, a play call, this is interesting. What should the go-to third and fourth, uh, third or fourth down short yardage play be early in the game? Ohio State went empty on fourth and one, and everyone in the stadium knew what was coming, including Cincinnati, but Field is not JT in terms of running that quarterback power uh, for one yard. So what's the new play when they absolutely need a yard? Because didn't they – they got stopped, right? They got stopped yeah. on that fourth well, down. Well, go back, go back and watch that play, and nobody blocked anybody on the edge there, and he had nowhere to go. I don't think there was a path in front of him, and by the time he realized it, he just got crunched there. I don't think that was a well-blocked play, but that sometimes happens when you – don't have anybody back but there do, to block. I mean, do you I, guys believe in JK? Would you like have a hundred percent faith on third and one handing it to JK? It was I, that was fourth and one, and I I hate I I just 
I hate shotgun stuff on when you only need one yard. <laughs> You've got you're you're playing under center now for a reason. You would hate You've got you can put four tight ends on the field at once. Like I, I don't know. I know there's there's something to be said for like deception and giving yourself the option, but nobody hardly ever throws in that scenario. Everybody knows, especially when you empty the backfield, everyone knows that's just gonna be a quarterback sneak. That's like a very Madden thing. Yeah. And so I, I don't know. To me that's just getting a little cute with it. I would rather just um put a running back back there and maybe you have a, a tight end um offset and and snap it under center and 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 give yourself um a head of steam to get that one yard or maybe yeah maybe even if you just sneak it with him but give yourself a chance give yourself another blocker there to help create that hole what would I, your play be steven would you give it to jk or would you keep it in justin's hands i'd keep it in justin's hands and have him run it yeah the thing that's I would I would like lean toward like a zone read yeah. like yeah that's what I was but thinking, yeah. I will say like Ohio State never did that with JT who ran the zone read really well they always went empty set and again it's the running joke that like now now that it's over it's like man that was really effective they just went empty and just snapped it to him it was like football from eighteen ninety six and and also where do you stand on throwing are you pro throw on third the Browns threw a couple times on third and one the other day and I know some people are like having some problems with that. Um, are you good with like, hey, you just run a little, you know, a little tight end flare for three yards? It's going to be wide open. I mean, yeah, it worked in the goal line against Florida Atlantic. It's, it seems like a pretty solid thing. But now I'm 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 zone reading it, reading it with with Justin. But like, but it almost I, makes I me think of... why they don't like it makes me want to ask Ryan Day why don't you run zone read on third down on third and one and fourth and one because they haven't done it because well, my instinct is do it but maybe there's a reason they don't. Well, here's, here's and it's maybe the same reason that they don't throw it. It's because more things can go wrong the more processes you put into it. If you just need one yard, do the simplest thing that can get you the one yard. I could, and especially with a younger quarterback who is still maybe feeling out the finer points of the zone read, I could see staying away from that win, not because he can't do it and not because you couldn't, I guess, potentially even break a bigger play, but really you're going for that one yard, especially when it's fourth and one. You need one yard. You need nine feet. Or whatever it is. So just just do the simplest thing that gets you that one yard. Yeah, but I think Justin can turn that one yard into something crazy. He's got that type of potential. He, no, he's not the runner that JC is. Where he's just gonna plunge forward, which is part of like my like thought. I understand you don't want to get your quarterback injured because like the guy behind him is just nowhere near the talent he is. But Justin isn't the type of runner where like I don't think an injury like that would happen. Like. He seems like a, I'm going to get what I can get and get out of bounds. But, while... but, also, but fourth one, it's always like, do, how often do guys get hurt on like power runs? I mean, it's not like guys yeah, are no, breaking really, their yeah, legs. Right. Yeah, I'm not really that worried. I'm not worried about it from a. I'm not no. worried about it from an injury standpoint. I'm saying just there's more opportunities for the play to get blown. Let up, me ask the play this. to go wrong. And, and I did not go back and watch the game yet because um, I spent 16 hours covering the Browns losing by 30. <laughs> it's okay. Can a man just pick a team to go 12-4 and four and not be completely embarrassed the first game? Uh, that run, the Justin Fields run on fourth and one, right, when he was stopped. Right. And he did kind of take it outside, right, on the edge. It makes me like we could stop. We could pause it and look. My question is, was it designed to go there or did he bounce anything and he should have taken one of the holes inside? I think he bounced. Talk amongst yourselves for a moment because I believe I included that play in my rewatch. But let be- me Because... Talk. That is the thing about JT. Like, JT did not bounce that stuff. But you know what JT got? Yard and a half on third and one. Two and a half on fourth and that's two. That's all you need. That's what I'm saying. And that's the whole thing. So, so almost the idea of, like, Justin Fields is a very skilled guy. But 
that's not what that's designed to do. Like if you're, I'm surprised. It's like if there wasn't blocking on the edge on that play, um, maybe you shouldn't be out on the edge in space when all you need is a yard going up the middle and trying to, you know, go over Jonah Jackson and Josh Myers. But if that's the type of runner he is, then I think they need to cater to that and not to the type of runner that. But but if that's the type of runner he is, is that the kind of runner that you want carrying the ball on fourth and one? Do you don't you want to run it inside? Do you want to run it inside? Or are you okay with trying to get to the edge on fourth and one? I don't have a problem with it. With enlarge, uh, depending on, I mean, yeah, you can just kind of. Oh. I I don't have a problem with. I think it should cater to what your personnel is, and Justin's personnel is space and speed, and not necessarily like this punch it, punch it, but, punch it. So then, but then my so you would cater. You want to cater to the personnel and let the quarterback get to the edge on fourth and one, or do you want to give it to your punch-it guy and maybe J.K.'s your punch-it guy? I I don't know if J.K.'s the punch-it guy. Like we said, you think maybe they don't have a punch-it guy? Yeah, I don't No, I'm not, I'm not, like like I said, J.K.'s been a roller coaster so far this year. Yeah. So I'm not convinced yet that, like, I'm giving you the ball on fourth and one. It's 100% going to be a punch-it guy. All right, take us through this, Nathan. It looks like they got some penetration right off the bat in the backfield. Yeah, the yeah. whole thing just, just fell apart from the beginning. I mean, again, you've got no blocking in the backfield. So, uh, now Cincinnati was bringing a blitz off of the strong side. And so that guy gets in the backfield. You've got the the guy on the weak side gets completely unblocked. And so those guys get, it blows up the play enough that Fields basically has to stop, change direction, and by then a guy from the second level can come up and stop him before he gets back. He has a guy at his feet in the backfield three yards behind the line of scrimmage where he has to make a move. And that's why I don't like shotgun in that situation. Like, you need one... You need one yard, and you've got an Ohio State offensive line QB supposedly snake, blocking. I te- I'm telling you, man, for five years, four, it worked like 96% of the time. Shotgun snap to a battering ram quarterback. It worked. I mean, he's not all a battering ram quarterback, right? But which, like, is to, which is to Stevens' point. Yeah, he's not. And like, I mean, the line obviously didn't do their job there. But yeah, he's not a battering ram quarterback, so you can't do battering ram stuff with a guy who's not a battering. Because you know ram who guy. else got a lot of those? I think Tim Tebow. And in this yeah. case, in this case, the way you run this, and he runs it correctly. I mean, he runs it according to form, I believe. But you take the snap and you take one step back because if you're not faking a pass here, then spreading everybody out and going empty really has no value. I'm telling you. So, I'm telling yeah, you, they, no, didn't, it fake, they didn't it definitely worked a lot with JT. Yeah, it so definitely straight is. power. But I, when, when he takes that one step back, by the time he takes that one step back, there are two guys in the backfield, three guys in the backfield, he, before he can take a step Even with forward. that, I I wouldn't have been surprised if JT would have got that. Okay, so, so let's talk about this. This sounds like a Thursday question for Ryan Day. What is your, how comfortable do you feel about your ability to get one yard when you need it on fourth down or on third down. What happened on that play? And how? who do you want to have the ball in their hands? Is it Justin Fields or J.K. Dobbins? Or how do you balance that? Is zone read a good call on short yardage? Is there a reason it's not a good call? And Ohio State has succeeded so much with QB power. And again, I remember having this conversation with my best friend Joel Klatt after we ate gnocchi in Indianapolis. Again, the finest uh, finest uh, meal I've ever eaten in my life. Um and Joel and Joel and I were just going for a stroll uh, down towards the uh, the stadium before the Big Ten Championship game. We were talking about that play, and I think I had used the phraseology of like a QB draw, which implies that like you're hesitating for a second. Letting the, and he was like, "It's it's not a QB. It's QB power. It's a straight power run that you would run with any running back, except you're taking out the need to hand it off to somebody." And that's the thing sometimes. 
Well, if you get under center, I get the sneak. The sneak is the sneak, which is why Tom Brady is Tom Brady. 200 for 200 on quarterback sneaks in his life. As but much if as you I... turn around and hand it off, the running back is behind you almost as far as that quarterback is from the line of scrimmage. Only if you're in the shotgun. shotgun. Right, no, exactly. So what's but... the difference between a shotgun to JT Barrett and a handoff hand to off. a running yeah. back? JT is a running it's, back. No, it's very different because the running back is running downhill when he accepts the ball. And in this case, the quarterback not only doesn't have that momentum, he's taking a step back at the snap. But in that situation, the the – the D linemen are still in the backfield already. So like, well, yeah, that's, that's that's what I was about to say was as much as I'm, as much I don't like this formation under these, I may be more old school. Um, I'd rather they just run the wishbone or something. Um, and that could have, if you're handing it off, it might be worse. Cause what if you're in the middle of a handoff when you get blown up and now it's a fumble? Maybe. Yeah. But in this case, this and, was at the end of the day, this wasn't a poorly called play. It was a poorly blocked play. Which, it was almost not a blocked play. If you go back and watch it. Which which makes it interesting, and that's a good way to think about this too. Was the play call good? Did you have faith in that play call? You just have to block it up better. Um, or was there something about the call itself that you felt like in hindsight, you know what, that isn't the right thing for us to do in short yardage. We have to evaluate that. Because part of it is sometimes any kind of play gets blown up. But was there something about that play call that allowed them to blow it up because there was something in the formation that they knew it was going to be a field's run. They could sell out with the run blitz. They weren't worried about anything else. They blew up your tight ends who were trying to block, and all of a sudden that happens. So as as you're grading an offensive line, these kinds of plays to me carry a lot of weight because what you do marching a team down the field, that has value too. But there's going to be some time this year where it's going to be something and one. They have to get that yard either to keep a comeback drive going or to extend a drive that they can kill the clock with at the end of a game. They have to have that yard, and it's got to look a whole heck of a lot better than it did in this play against Cincinnati. Which is why I'm completely comfortable with us just talking about third and one and fourth and one for the last 15 minutes. <laughs> Not joking, because no, it's like... They could be the season. That like, that is, yeah, that's... I mean, ask, ask fourth and two against Michigan State in the Big Ten Championship game in, in 2013. Yeah. Um, my roommate's a Michigan fan. He still swears that he didn't get it, but oh well. Well, well, yeah. I mean, ask. I mean, there's go through the history of football and all the all the games and seasons and careers that changed on six inches because somebody did or didn't get something on a short yardage play. Yeah. Um, these are, I love stuff like this uh, from the three one two. Indy Indiana is for sure a trap game from the seven four zero. How can it be a trap game when everyone says the whole week that it's a trap game? Um, which is what we said earlier. <laughs> it's almost like they're having a conversation with yeah. each other. Um, however, I have a theory on why they lost to Purdue in Iowa, and it's the only possible explanation. Uh, let me know if you want to know. If you don't care to know, then I'm not going to type it all out. Oh, well, I'll get back to that guy. Who so is involved. Okay. Yeah. Um, I don't think we need to worry about trap games this year because Day and his staff are motivated to kick butt. That's from Brett. Um he says, I think trap games occur more often later in a coach's tenure due to him and his staff becoming too comfortable and losing the eye of the tiger. And I think a lot of people, um, some people are having that uh, a high degree of faith um, in Ryan Day and the ability of like a new coach to be able to do this stuff. I, I, I don't, come on. I mean, I think a lot of this is people grasping for an explanation for why a team lost that game beyond the fact that that team could lose that game. In retrospect, like, I'm sorry, like, it wasn't, I don't think there was something, I mean, Urban Meyer lost how many games in the whole time he was here? He lost nine games in seven years. Nine games in seven years, but 
because he lost at Purdue last year, it's it's like this cosmic failing. I we, don't. We talk about the nine more than we talk about like the eighty three. Uh, right. This is my. <laughs> yeah. It's like it's just. It's you know. It, again, I said this very. I think from the first day, I first minutes I sat down for one of these. It's more of an anomaly that they only lost nine in seven years than it is that they lost any single one of those nine and, games. And this is like from your Purdue experience. And again, we we want to get through some more of these, but like I'm imagining at Purdue. There's not a lot of talk of necessarily like, Jeff Brom, how could you lose that game? Was your team not emotionally prepared? Were you not mentally prepared? Were you were you exhausted from the week oh, before? Oh, no, no, there is or that. Because at some point, Jeff Brom can say, uh, sometimes you lose. And uh, like, that's an acceptable answer. Yeah, well, uh, no, but but at the same, no, that's not completely true, though, because when you lose at home to Eastern Michigan... That people think you maybe were looking ahead and overlooking the Mac team. Well, or that you just, or that you just didn't show up. That your team just wasn't prepared well, didn't show up. I understand that, but um, but again, you, when you're the teams that they lost to last two years, it wasn't they lost to the equivalent of Miami of Ohio. They lost at Purdue, a team that went to a bowl game and had, as you've talked about, NFL talent at certain positions that they exploited. They lost at Iowa, which against a a really really good coach, a really strong program year in and year out. I know that the dispar- the point disparity makes those look worse, but it's really just that you lose road games sometimes to other good teams. Uh, I don't think, but I don't necessarily believe in trap games, but I do believe programs like Ohio State need to be on alert every week for most programs in the Big Ten. A win against Ohio State could be their shining moment. That's Joe in Chicago land. Um, ben K from the nine three seven is asking about. Does it feel like we're forcing personnel over scheme, putting the bullet on the field, moving Warner back to a safety type position, etc.? We also seem to have a great field safety option in Proctor and more of a strong safety in Fuller. Why not run two high safeties and cover two in a base four three, um, and that would get two corners on the field, Proctor and Fuller at safety together, four D linemen, three linebackers. So he's taking Sean Wade off the field. Though. Well, that's the thing, and, and and that is really the issue. It's it's. The thing that I think we need to understand in all these both discussions is the nickel is the base. The nickel is the base. The nickel is the base. Um, in terms of it, ha- in terms of having three corners on the field, a lot. So they have got chosen to go with a sing- to go with a single high safety because I think having three linebackers with three corners gets you more guys in the box. You can cover tight ends. You can cover wide receivers in the slot. They're just not going to get. I thought they might mix up one deep safety and two deep safeties. They play two deep safeties like in their dime look at times when it's third and really long. They've been bringing Isaiah Pryor or Proctor on the field with Jordan Fuller. That's like a look they use like three or four times a game. That is not at all a normal part of their defense. We talked to Brendan White and Pete Werner on Tuesday. We're going to write about it, but like short answer, do you guys have any issue with the way they've used Brendan White and Pete Warner with the understanding that we think it is going to evolve from game to game. Pete Warner has played three times as many snaps as Brendan White so far. Do you believe that it's any kind of failing that the defensive MVP of the Rose Bowl is playing so few snaps or are you okay with it because this is what the scheme calls for and you got to do what you got to do? This is this was a big topic of conversation at the uh, filet fish Bureau before we went over to <laughs> media availability today and I am of the opinion that, and I, I think Greg Madison talked about this today, which is what you saw Saturday, while it is an indication in, in some ways of, of the um, the trust that they have in Pete Werner, he's also pointed out that you've just played two teams, played a lot of 12 personnel, two teams that were maybe more running 
oriented than pass oriented. I, I think it made more sense to give him those snaps against a team like Indiana, maybe a team against a team that throws the ball more. I think maybe more of those snaps go to Brendan White. I could see them using the bullet more. I don't think it's I don't think it's some failing of Brendan White. I think it's more just how they have opted to use their personnel, and I think they have confidence in all of those guys. The only thing that's been really surprising is, and this is kind of a fascinating topic, about when they're just leaving Pete Werner as the the lone high safety, essentially, on multiple plays against Cincinnati. Against Cincinnati. They they do not view as a mistake. which, Which... which Cincinnati didn't take advantage of. I don't think that's... I think teams are going to see that on film and somebody will take advantage of that eventually. And then that... So then then that begs the question. Once that happens, do they go more to Brendan White or does Ohio State say, well, that's something we hope that Pete Werner will learn from and try to take away because we need him on the field, want him on the field for XYZ reasons the rest of the time. Do you have an issue with how these snaps have played out at all, Steven? No, after it was explained, I think uh, what it pretty much boils down to is when they think a team's a really good running team, they're going to have Pete Warner out there. When they think a team's a really good passing team, they're going to have Brendan White out there. And it's probably not even... I, the terminology I used today was basically talking about Pete Warner as if he were the bullet, but that's probably really not the right te- terminology. For either he really person. is still more of a strong safety. I mean, or, I mean, a, for a, a strong sideline. That's even, what he said. Yeah, even Brendan White was like... Like, he, like Pete is teaching him how to be a linebacker, and he's teaching... Pete how to be a safety. So then we just shouldn't ever talk about the bullet. Well, I think what we thought was the bullet was going to be the base defense. It was going to be a nickel bullet kind of thing, right? And then, right, really, it's more just nickel. So... Or it was last week. Yeah, I mean, I thought the whole time they're going to have two out of two out of these three guys in the field on every snap. Yeah. The slot corner, the bullet, and the Sam linebacker. Two of those three. It's been that the Sam linebacker's on the field almost all the time. Yeah. And then they're swapping out the slot corner for the bullet sometimes. If there's not a third receiver in the game, and maybe there's a guy that they go two tight ends, or that the, the, the third guy who's split out in the slot is a tight end, maybe that's when Brendan White's in. But like Pete Warner, like does not like in a dime and like a super you know third and twenty when they go two nickel linebackers and it's Lee Harrison and Baron Browning. Then Pete Warner's off the field at any kind of traditional look. Pete Warner is on the field, and I thought that would not necessarily be the case. Um, so that is what has surprised me the most. Again, I think the bullet is a safety playing linebacker. That's what the bullet position is. A guy who normally would be a safety has a safety body with some linebacker responsibilities. Pete Warner is a linebacker with linebacker responsibilities and linebacker responsibilities are stop the run, cover the tight end. So that's what strong side linebackers do. But if you have Brandon White to do that, stop the run, cover the tight end. Now you're a bullet. But this is this goes back to what I'm saying. If the next team they play, and I don't know at this point enough about Indiana's personnel to be able to say this, but if now if Indiana hardly plays any twelve personnel and he's using a lot that slot receiver more consistently, now do you want Pete Werner lined up against that slot receiver no, forty have, times a game? Now maybe that becomes Brendan White. But it's Sean Wade. Like when it's but but the issue like If it's three wide, if it's if it's eleven personnel, right, and the tight ends in line next to the tackle, but it's a slot receiver, then Sean Wade's in the game covering the slot receiver, and Pete Warner has been covering that tight end, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, if it's a tight end, like I just like it almost makes me think like, how's the bullet ever going to get in? The way they're doing, the way they're playing Pete Warner so much, 
Because the whole point is you don't want Pete Werner or Brendan White on Rondale Moore. You've got to have Sean Wade on him. So if it's a receiver in the slot, that's Sean Wade. And then the question is, who's the other guy like in the box? Helping with run support or helping with that tight end who's not split out, right? And it's almost always been Pete Werner. I think actually Steven actually has the best point of this that he brought up this morning, and he can explain it. Or just, just that they haven't recruited bullets yet. Like the people in this program were not recruited as bullets. They're just different positions that they've tried to put at bullet. So it's also maybe just that at this stage, as they've looked at the talent, this is still this is the formation of the talent that they have that makes the most sense. And Pete Warner. I asked Pete Warner, like, did you maybe think when all this was happening that, like, your job was sort of going to disappear? And he was like, yeah, maybe. But there's part of this that it's like, Pete Warner this year is doing the same stuff he did last year. Brendan White this year is playing a completely new position. Right. And, like, Brendan White's still figuring it out. And Brendan White was yes. in a backpedal world, and now he's in a first step forward world. And that, I think, is a greater change than we gave credit for. And so Brendan White's not quite all the way, all the way there yet. And maybe by week six or week seven, with the, when he is... They'll be able to use him more. All right, and I don't think Ohio State would have smothered the run the way it has the first two weeks without Pete Werner on the and field. And they do as think Pete Werner's has. good in coverage too. Like that's why they're comfortable with him going back and safety. I'm less convinced of that. I, I think if you look at the film, I, I see some uneasiness there. Yes, trap games exist. Absolutely, most national writers pinned Army as a trap game for Michigan. We saw how that played out. Um, my question: Can a trap game be a trap game even if it's viewed as a trap game? Uh, I believe in letdown games from the four eight zero. I take my job seriously, too, and I can't give maximum focus for 12 straight weeks. So that's sometimes it's not even about yeah. – I think we all know we've already we've already covered what happened the week before, what happened the week after. Sometimes you're just not quite there, and it doesn't have anything to do with anything other than it was one of those days. Yeah, that's kind of more what happened, I think, in those Iowa and Purdue scenarios. The A lesser version of Ohio State showed up on its same day that a much better version of both of those teams showed up, and that's how that – score ends up happening if the browns would have committed the same amount of penalties as the titans on sunday would they win why or why not i think they might have won i think their play calling um was perhaps a little more rudimentary than we expected maybe because they got behind the chain so much the penalties threw the browns off so much you couldn't get a feel for that for that offense so i think if you believe that freddie would have called a different game if they hadn't been so penalized then i think yes they might have won because um, they were right there even with the penalties until the uh, the screen for a touchdown. But I think it would have been a 50-50 game if you take the penalties away. Uh, let's see. Can the Buckeyes stop Jonathan Taylor? Who is the best Mike matchup against him? I mean, I, I'm all in on something like this from the 8-5-8. Jonathan Taylor is off to a great start for Wisconsin. Um, we've All this stuff we're talking about is, is talking about spread teams when you got a, a slot receiver and stuff. Wisconsin always makes you play base defense so like sean wade may not play very much against wisconsin for instance what is your belief steven in the idea of like we got to have linebacker play we got to fill gaps we got to tackle we got to be sound do you think what you've seen from this defense will be able to handle the wisconsin offensive line and jonathan taylor yeah i mean obviously they won't handle it the same way they did with cincinnati where they just literally could not run the ball but yeah so far the defensive line and the linebackers have showed that they can handle some version of what Wisconsin brings to the table from our running game. I think Baron, like who's the best Mike matchup? Tough Borland is like really good at filling holes, but I Brown. also feel like that's a big Baron Browning game. Yeah. I think I want Baron Browning like in there trying to blow up like the best running back in the Big Ten. 
Uh, were we all wrong about Nebraska and Scott Frost? That's from Harold B. No relation to Cardi B. Uh, you uh, uh, led the charge in did dropping. He really, did he really say that, or was that you? He really said it. Okay. It does sound like something I would say. Yeah, though. that's why. I had to... <laughs> um, what's I'm the thing she Go says? Ahead. What's the thing? Occur. 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 <laughs> Could I be any whiter? Occur. <laughs> were you, were people wrong? Do you think people overestimated Nebraska in year two based on what has happened so far, Nathan? I didn't. Okay, me. Did I overestimate Nebraska? Yeah. Just say it, Harry. I, I just I, I I I think Nebraska is trend is what I thought of Nebraska at the end of last year was that they were gonna be trending back towards being something here in a couple of years if they kept doing it. I just didn't think that because they were better at the end of last year than they were at the beginning or they're getting better results at the end of last year than they did at the beginning, that that somehow meant they were going to take this springboard. And I think people also were looking at the schedule that Nebraska had relative to some of the other teams and thinking that gave them a better chance of winning the West and conflating that with them actually being a lot better. I think Wisconsin is the best team in the West, and I thought that before the season started. Definitely believe in trap games from the 303. Witnessed it as a coach all the time. The trap is more of an emotional, physical letdown with the grind <laughs> anticipation found in the season. It's very difficult to approach all games with the same intensity, even if you say it. The best way to avoid letdowns is making sure younger players and backups are getting reps, players with something to prove. I was originally a bit concerned about this game, but I still feel like almost everyone on this roster feels like they have something to prove right now. The offense is young and new, and the defense sucked last year and spent all offseason hearing about it. Again, that's from a former coach in the 303. I think there are some really interesting points made in there. Still picking Nebraska up at Ohio State? Yes. Laughing smiley face? Yes, I am. I feel like we've gotten like 30 different I, definitions. I mean, of what the, the one thing that I do think is true is that just because this is what it looks like so far doesn't guarantee this is what it's going to look like in week five. That like yeah. Ohio State's look really great. Nebraska's struggle with South Alabama and then lost. Um, Ohio State has not played anybody as good as Colorado. That's a rivalry game. There's a lot of stuff there. But Nebraska, admittedly, has not looked great. Um, it's also like Purdue looked like terrible and then beat Ohio State. So it's like what what is the ability? But, I mean, to everybody's point, it's like I picked Nebraska and Michigan to beat Ohio State this year. Nebraska and Michigan look terrible right now, and Ohio State looks awesome. Um, that is That is – I mean, you know, we spend a lot of offseason talking, and then you start getting proof. You can't, like, ignore the proof. So, like, yeah, that does, those do not look like teams after two weeks that are going to beat Ohio State this year. From the 303, I don't think this person asked a question, but they said, can't wait to get my first shout-out on Buckeye Talk. I've been a listener for over three years. Shout out to you. From the 303, so there's your shout-out, and uh, thank you for listening, and thank you for subscribing. From the 858, I love this kind of stuff. It gets us back to our roots. Is the Taco Bell KFC combo restaurant a little bit better than the Taco Bell alone or a lot better? My conjecture is a lot. Two words, mashed potatoes. How much do you guys, when you get the combo situations, how much do you like to cross over and combine? And how much does that raise the fast food experience? Um, So I haven't seen like a crossover one in a while. But I also don't eat KFC or Taco Bell. So... I'm probably not the right person to ask this question. I don't know why you're even on this podcast, <laughs> frankly. Um, yeah, I'll mix it up once in a while. I, you know, I, I, I do find it though. I mean, what are you getting a taco and mashed potatoes? Maybe. I mean, does that sound good to you? No, not really. <laughs> it does it actually? And I love both of those things individually. And I'm actually one of those people who's not like weird about mixing 
foods. You know, there's people who like they can't their, their peas can't get in their uh, their mashed potatoes and yeah. I was like that when I was a little. I, kid. I am yeah. I will. I am I'm not like that now though. As Pat Oswalt once said of the KFC Famous Bowl about the failure pile in a sadness bowl, just put <laughs> it all in a big trough and I'll eat it out. Like that's I, I don't care, but I, that's still that's that's a weird mix to me. Because you gotta go mashed potatoes and gravy too, right? You can't just no. have, you can't just have mashed potatoes on its own. No, I don't like gravy. I like putting cinnamon on my mashed potatoes. Really? Yeah, it's delicious. It's awesome. I've never even heard of that. I it's amazing. Not, that's very interesting. It's amazing. That makes me want to try that. Try I have, it. I have cinnamon. Cinnamon is uh, very good uh, for you. It is. Lowers your blood sugar. Hmm. Um, I like at the Goasis, which everybody stops at. Halfway between Columbus and Cleveland, you ever stop there, Nathan? Never heard of it. Uh, oh. You're gonna go, you're gonna have to stop there. One I'm time. familiar with uh, awesome. Grandpa's Cheese Barn. Yeah, yeah, halfway it's between. near Grandpa's okay. Cheese Barn. I was driving home from the Browns game um, at like 10:30 on Sunday night, and I stopped at the Goasis, and there was a woman getting fudge at 10:30 at night on a Sunday, and I was like, "You are a champion," um, because I like. <laughs> I always say about the Goasis. I like the option in my um, convenience store. I like the option of fudge. But I don't really go there. I mean, there aren't that many times where it's like, I mean, it's 10.30 on a Sunday. I could go for some fudge. <laughs> I like to know that it's a possibility. They have a Pizza Hut, Taco Bell combo, and then a Popeye's right next to it. I am in for, like, Popeye's chicken, a biscuit, and breadsticks from Pizza Hut with marinara sauce. Like, here's that, a, I, am, I am here for that. Here's a topic for next week. Which two fast food restaurants do you wish... We're a combo. Oh, man. You are getting the buck. I talk vibe. Yeah. Oh, if my. you could smush any two. Well, we're sending that out to the Texas subscribers yeah. next week. Smush together two fast food restaurants, and then Nathan Baird will go eat there. Um, <laughs> we're getting a lot of the similar things. Keith B. from Ann Arbor is enjoying the fact that Michigan stinks so far. Keith B., hello from Ann Arbor, where it's much better to be a Buckeyes fan these days. All summer long, we kept hearing that one of the big reasons Michigan is going to beat Ohio State is because Shea Patterson has so much more experience than Fields. Ignoring the fact that the last two games for both teams seem to be telling a different story. My question is, how legitimate of an argument is it for last game of the season that, like, Shea Patterson's going to be better than Justin Fields by then? Justin Fields is going to have 11 games under his belt. Probably will be challenged at least a few times. I just don't think it gives Shea a huge edge in game 12. Is Shea Patterson better than him right now? No. I'm not sure that Shea Patterson's the best quarterback on Michigan's roster right now. I'm not sure that Jim Harbaugh is sure of that. So, I mean... I I also think... But I think... When you're talking about the seasons you're predicting, if you thought that was a valid point, then it has more to do with the teams that they play in the first like eight weeks of the season than it does about the head-to-head matchup in Week 12. I do think it's possible that, that Josh Gaddis at Michigan has just not figured it out yet. I know that some people are making the point. Mike Loxley and Josh Gaddis were together at Alabama. Mike Loxley is now the head coach at Maryland. Josh Gaddis got the job as the offensive coordinator at Michigan based on the Alabama offense. And I think some people were like, that's great. Mike Loxley ran it. Congratulations on – so I think – and then Maryland scored 400 points against Syracuse. Um, So, like, I think – High scoring team in the nation right now. I think there's – I mean, I think Mike Loxley is a real deal. He's a great recruiter. He got caught in a really bad situation at either New Mexico or New Mexico State. I can't remember which one it was. It just was not the right. There was nothing about that that was right for him. Um, but he's a really good recruiter, and like he's a really good offensive mind. And so, like, and he's from the DMB. Um, a lot of those guys who are on Ohio State's roster love him. He was at. I remember when I first started covering college football, like in 1995. Um, 
I think he was on Illinois staff back then, and he was pulling guys to Illinois. I think he got like Simeon Rice to go to Illinois, and I think he might have been from the D.C. area. Rice and Hardy were both Kevin on that team together. I yeah. mean, that's that's Mike Loxley's work. Mike Loxley's been putting in putting in work for a long time, and then like it happened that he was one of those guys where like when he got a shot to be a head coach, it was like in a no win situation where he was not like a fit because he's not a New Mexico guy, like. He needs to be in the Big Ten. And he did a really good job at Alabama, but like Maryland is the right fit for him. They probably should have hired him when they hired DJ Durkin. They got like a second chance on this. Just like Nebraska should have hired Scott Frost when they hired Mike Riley and they got a second chance at it. Um, as much as we've felt like, and I did a, I did a story a couple years ago when there was all the Harbaugh talk with Michigan. And I did like the, the dream hire for every Big Ten school. Um and I think I did Scott Frost at Nebraska. It's like you were looking for like cultural fit, roots, but also like the guy's doing a good job. I think it's possible that Mike Loxley in the end turns into a dream hire for Maryland because he's got the recruiting. He's got the offensive guru stuff, which is what everybody wants right now. And he's got the local connections. And that guy, Maryland was in a terrible situation of their own making and of DJ Durkin's making and of the president's making and of the athletic director's making and of the board of trustees making. Um, a player died because of the failures of the Maryland administration. And so none of those people deserve anything good. Um, all those people who failed, Jordan McNair and his family, but all the other players on that team who were saw their teammate die and were innocent victims in, in all of this, they deserve something good. And and it, it might be one of those things from like an absolutely awful situation comes the exact perfect resolution because Mike Loxley gets the job that he always should have had. And so, I mean, it's one of those things we've been looking, like I thought at Big Ten Media Days, it was like the West is coming. Scott Frost, Jeff Brom, Paul Chris just has it going on. Like that, Pat Fitzgerald and Northwestern, the West is coming. And and what if it's like, oh, look, there's another top 25. There's another consistent top 25 team in the Big Ten, and it's another team in the East. Well, and <laughs> but but the Big Ten needs Maryland to be good. I mean, do they? I do. But, I, I but, think they do. You can't. So you, what? So that Ohio State and Michigan can have more chances to lose every year and get knocked out of the playoff? Because uh, now they have like five good teams in the East? But uh, talk about the Big Ten at large. You still have a – coming from someone who – coming from a place where you didn't have the same football dominance and – there, there, from it, there's a very and maybe this is a very Indiana um, mindset, state of Indiana mindset. But a lot of people there who are like, why are Maryland and Rutgers in the Big Ten? What do we really get out of this? And I try, I tell them, just go look at that giant football complex on uh, Northwestern Avenue in West Lafayette. That's why Maryland and Rutgers are in the Big Ten. But I understand from a when both those teams are bottom feeding, especially in the East where there's so many other great teams, it. It, it becomes a harder sell, I think, for, for just the, like the psyche of the Big Ten at large. So I think the Big Ten is better when, when it's good for the Big Ten when at least one of those teams is kind of rising up and being better than just there. We have three more I want to get to, and we're getting over. There's a lot of really good questions here. Um, we'll have more stuff to get into. I think next week will be a good opportunity to get a little, do some more nonsense stuff, do some more big picture stuff, because there won't be anything to break down about the game. We spent a lot of time on trap game stuff, and we, we you know spent time with an Indiana writer, because I think there's enough on-field interesting stuff this week. Next week won't be the case. 
Steven, I'm going to aim this one at you. From Joey Bosa to Nick Bosa to Chase Young, who is the next defensive lineman to step up and be that player on the defensive line that offenses will be worried about next year? So his name is Tyreek Smith, and hopefully we get him this week. Knocks on wood. Knocks on, knock on wood. We want to talk to Tyreek. Yeah, knock on, wood. knock on wood if you're with me. If we do, even if we don't, I'm going to have a story of about him over the next 48 hours, so keep checking cleveland.com for that. But his name is Tyree Smith. He's a Cleveland native. And Chase Young has literally taken him and made him his little brother. They work out together. They warm up together before games and, and practice. They go. They, you know, they do everything together. So, like, Tyree Smith, that's the next guy. I, I thought you might say Zach Harrison, but, but Tyreek is a year older. And then it's Zach. But you think Tyreek... Because I think the point of this is like all Big Ten, nearly all American, first round pick kind of level. That's yeah. what it is when you're talking the Boses and Chase Young. And you think Tyreek Smith can be that kind of guy? I do. And to be honest, like he's only a year older than Zach Harrison. And if Zach is like what, like his body says he is, you might have two guys on the field at the same time. You might have two NFL level guys on the roster at the same time. I mean that. Who peak level at the same time because usually it's one of them that's like one's next while the other one's like the guy guy you might have two the guys at the same time next season and that's what really stunk about last year because you thought you were going to get that with Nick Bosa and Chase Young yeah and then Nick Bosa played two and a half games and his season ended and then Chase when it was like well now Chase is going to rise up Chase had the two high ankle sprains at the same time and wasn't himself Um, they're going to miss Chase Young a lot in 2020, oh, yeah. but it's possible that in their own way they'll be almost as effective because they might have two guys like that You'll with Tyreek and and Zach. Neither is as good as Chase's, but like together it makes up it makes a chase pretty much. So I uh, there's a Giordano's in Westerville where I live, um, and it was like a dream come true for me that Giordano's was a was a Chicago style pizza place in Chicago when I went to college in Chicago. And then it it migrated briefly to Indianapolis, and I was like, I know Columbus is next because Columbus is chain restaurant heaven. And it came, and it's like, I mean, I don't ask for much in life, but if one of the things if I would have asked for would have been like, can I have a Chicago-style pizza restaurant a mile from my house? And it happened. Um, So I'm the happiest boy in the world, but I used to go there. I would go there, and... I had this waiter there a couple times, this really nice guy. And it's like, you start talking about what to do, whatever. And he was, or is, um, Zach Harrison's uncle. So it was like, this was like when Zach Harrison was maybe a sophomore. And I was like, man, I have a Zach Harrison in my Giordano's waiter, (laughs) Zach Harrison's uncle. And then like, I completely botched it and like never did. I got his number. I was going to be like, I'm going to come over to your house or whatever. But then after the game uh, on Sunday... When we're walking up the tunnel and going up the interviews and all the families are there and stuff, I'm pretty sure I saw him. And I wanted to be like, but it's like he's there to be with his nephew, right? So should I have said, hey, you're the guy I know from Giordano's? Or like, would that be okay? I don't want to bother him. Listen, I wanted to chase his whole family while they were trying to take a picture and pull his dad aside. So, yeah, I think I should have. So there's, there's a way to go about it. You don't have to just be like, hey, stop talking to your nephew and come talk to me. But, yeah. You pull him away for a little bit. He is so nice. He was. I. I love. I hope I see him again there soon because that means I'll be eating pizza, but also because he's really nice. Um, last two. I do believe in trap games from the six one four, for eighteen to twenty three year olds who have mostly only experienced success, but not this week. Question: Tough Borland looked like he had a get a hitch in his gait 
on that interception return? Is he not all the way back, or is that just the way he runs? He had a really serious Achilles <laughs> oh. tear. Um, yeah, that's not the funny part. I think it might be both. And it's like one of those things of like, you know, if we're playing a game called who returns an interception better, Baron Browning or Tough Borland, I mean, the answer is Baron Browning. Um, that doesn't mean Tough Borland should never play. But, for instance, I know Baron Browning, according to the 11 Warriors snap counts, Dan Hope, uh, Baron Browning played more snaps than Tough Borland last week. And, like, athleticism is in the equation of what matters for a middle linebacker. It is not the only thing that matters for a middle linebacker. And they have talked ad nauseum, I think, about how Tough Borland gets this defense together and is the quarterback and sets guys up and stuff. But I think Baron Browning, as as Al Washington has said repeatedly, is one of the smartest players he's ever been around. I think it's a comfort level for Baron Browning. And I think in a world where they're playing fast and they're playing more confident and there's not a million things flying around, I think last year that was harder on the middle linebacker probably than anybody. Because all 11 guys were confused, but you're in charge now of all these 11 guys who were confused. I think maybe Baron Browning is getting more comfortable here, um, <laughs> is getting more comfortable running the show which is allowing him to play more, and I think maybe will reduce Tough Borland. I do think you're going to need Tough Borland against Michigan State. I think you're going to need against Wisconsin. I think you might have situations um, where you play both of them together. They had four linebacker looks at times on Saturday when Cincinnati was like pinned deep in its own territory and they're trying to give a look. So, But I, I do think that is just a brief two-second example of that Tough Borland is not the best athlete on the field, and that's fine. You don't have to be. Um, but I just, it's just a reality. And before I make, before we make too much of, of snap counts and stuff, even though I have done some of my own, like, look at some of the snap counts of various things through these first two games, we need, again, we need to see them against some different kinds of teams. Because I think this is a team that, because there is such a, a amount, such depth and and variety here that they can play with that a little bit. But I, but I do think the thing, if anything was holding Baron back in that competition, I think it was comfort. And that, that's the word that, that they spot. keep using, just his confidence level and how comfortable he feels. Um, I'm, I'm trying to write something on him for this week, and that was one of the things he talked about, was just how com- how much more comfortable he feels this season. Did, did When you guys talked to him, did he, did he say anything like um, that guy who like has the gray hair on the sides believed in me and that meant a lot or anything? Did he mention that? Not not while I was at the table. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, like I'm just saying. I mean, not that it would matter to me. Um, last thing from the real Dave Raymond in the four one nine. There's two pages of questions we can't get to because you guys are so awesome. I keep saying like maybe I'll do some hey Dougs. I, I don't I don't know what to tell you. There's too much. There's too much to do. I don't. I don't know what to do. There's too much. To, so far, everyone in the Ohio State media seems to be cautiously optimistic about the team thus far. However. No one seems to be ready to jump onto the Ohio State hype train, rightfully so at this point. My question, what would it take for you to jump on the Ohio State playoff train? 6-0, 8-0, dominating wins over Nebraska and Michigan State, something more? Love to hear your thoughts, the real Dave Raymond. Yeah, I don't think it's so much the record, it's how they're winning games. Because you looked, you thought, thought about this team differently after the Cincinnati win than you did after the Florida Atlantic win. And not just because they replicated the win, but because of how convincingly they beat Cincinnati. I think your esteem for this team, your expectation for this team, the ceiling raises a little bit after you see that. So I think kind of what you were talking about before with consistency, Stephen, I want to see them replicate that performance now. And, and especially if you can take it on the road 
and crush a team like Indiana, I, then that starts to become a, an easier thing to see. I think if that if they go if they come into that second bye week and they're still undefeated, so November second would be their second bye week. If they go into that and they're still undefeated, and they won games where it's like, oh yeah, they whether they blew a team out or they just won a game in a convinc- in a fashion where it's like that was a quality win. Then I'll start to join the hype train a little bit. Our team, our game seven and eight, Northwestern and Wisconsin. Yes. Okay. So it's six games, a bye, Northwestern, Wisconsin, a bye. Yeah. Maryland, Rutgers, Penn State, Michigan. Yeah. Okay. I'm actually willing to pull the trigger before that. Um, if they win at Nebraska, well, doesn't have to be dominating necessarily, but if they have a good road win at Nebraska and they come off that high on the road and come home the next week against D'Antonio and, like, are authoritative and connected and smart and they don't give up big plays and they're just, like, really solid and they handle the success of 5-0 and that includes a, a road win at Nebraska and they prove that and they don't fall into a trap and they don't get big heads and they just, like, take care of business of the, with uh, against Michigan State, then I'm in. So you're first by and I'm second by, basically. I'm first by because that would show me that combo. Mm-hmm. Because they've got more combos coming up. You know, like Northwestern, then Wisconsin, I think yeah. that's a hard combo. Penn State-Michigan is a, is the is the toughest combo you could have for a team in the East at the end of the, end of the regular season. But I think that is enough of a challenge because – if you and it's not just beating Nebraska, so it's not five and zero. Because if you at all get full of yourself, because you're five and zero, Mark D'Antonio will pop your balloon. So that is that's the combo that would let me say like these guys aren't just talented. It's not just that Justin Fields figured it out. It's not just that the defense is playing fast and loose. It's that um, they can handle success as part of this too. And then um, then I'm in. Then I'm in. All right. Two pages we didn't get to. We love them. We love them. We love them. We love them. We love that you guys subscribe. Um, I can tell some people, like, there's people who are popping in who are new to this. Um, and we appreciate that. $3.99. $3.99 a month. Um, and I think it's fun. Um, I just, again, I just say try it. It's a little hard to communicate what it is. I did it on Monday morning. Um, I've done it twice now on Monday mornings, and I'm, I'm going to try to keep this up throughout the year. We do a trivia question where I send it out Monday morning, and I give the answer Monday night. Um, we do stuff. I'm, I'm typing stuff literally on, on, on Tuesday. Ryan Day talked. Tony Alford talked. And then while Greg Madison was talking, I'm, I'm four feet from Greg Madison, and I'm sending texts to you guys about what I think about what Alford and – and Ryan Day said, and you don't have to go look for it somewhere else. It's a bigger, it's bigger than Twitter, but you don't have to go look for Twitter. You can be at your office, you can be at home with your kids or whatever you're doing. You can be busy, you can be running an errand, you can be at lunch, and you get like a little factoid with my insight about what matters about this team. Um, and if you're getting that, I try to send, I would say in the end, 12 to 16 a week. Probably in season, it might be sometimes like maybe 18 or 20 because I may be doing four or five on game day. Um, You know, it's like a dollar a week. It's like a dollar a week 
for like 15 to 20 texts in your phone that I don't think are like weird and annoying. I think they're like interesting and fun. So I just would say try it. Projecttext.com slash Buckeye Talk or go to cleveland.com slash OSU and you'll find the info there. And uh, if you're new, send a text and tell me that you're new. And uh, we'll shout you out and we'll say that we're grateful that you guys are trying it. So you're probably going to hear another ad. I hope we're switching to the ad things. Thank you for sitting through the ads. Um, <clears throat> every nickel we make makes it more likely that we get to keep doing this because it's a tough world out there and we like doing what we do. And I think you guys like it if you listen to this. And so we appreciate all your support and we appreciate the fact that I think we're getting some commercials on here. So lots of stories this week. We're going to start cranking it up. Um, interesting game Saturday. We'll be driving over on Friday. Um, we'll be in Bloomington. Um, if you're at the game on Saturday and you're walking in or whatever, and you see us like say hello. Um, we always like interacting with you guys. And, and I would maybe like down the line uh, on a home game or something, maybe figure something out where we can do something pregame and have people come meet us and hang out if, if you guys want to do that. So for Nathan Baird and Stephen Means, I am Doug Maurice. Try the texts. Keep on listening. Appreciate you guys. And that was Buckeye Talk. Mm-hmm.